Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm with me. Er, I'm with me. Yep, that's how we're starting. I'm with me. That's it. You're also here, Cameron. I'm with me. Yeah, we're Cameron and Michael, and we're with ourselves. We're self-identical, wholly self-identical and unitary. I'm with me from the future. Oh, God damn it. I'm with future me and past me. <sighs> oh, you don't like that? You don't like the future past? <laughs> you don't I like love getting, the future past. forums and, and banning yourself <laughs> in the future past? Oh, man. It's really, it's really, uh, I think something that people were maybe looking a little, uh, a little forward to, I think you maybe can see this now. I think, uh, old Homestuck readers, uh, dropping into this show, were probably looking forward to me having more arguments with my past self, mm. uh, on account of reading, you know, the something awful thread where I am, uh, going to be a frequent poster. Mm. Uh, but the, the, the most hysterical thing about this is that when that actually starts happening in the story with Karkat is it's not going to happen with me. It can't happen with me because I just stopped posting for like three months. Mm, well, because you were right the whole time. Yes, that's right about what? <laughs> the, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Carcat's Car wrong about stuff. <laughs> and and he's got to correct himself. But you were just, you were correct the whole yeah. time. So you Every don't have to worry about it. All the, all the posts that I made were right. <laughs> like Vriska <laughs> showed up and I was like, hmm, seems pretty sus. And you know what? I was justified. And then I didn't have to post again. Yeah, everything that you said and did in the year 2012, or no, 2010. 2010. Perfectly defensible and normal in the year 2022. <laughs> uh, the actual thing that happened is I was uh, in college and therefore having, I, it was like my worst semester of classes. It was just a, a lot of hard classes and it was really rough going. So I just stopped posting for a while uh, to the degree that I got worried about myself right now in the present. And I was like, wait, why? what's going on? When do I start posting again? And I had to look forward. And I eventually found when I started posting again, and it's going to come up in maybe a couple of partisodes. And it's interesting uh, what what a couple of months of uh, not posting does to a poster, I guess. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you came back and you were like, uh, well, actually, Homestuck is not real. <laughs> It's a piece of... I've been learning about this thing called fiction, mm -hmm. and it's blowing my mind. I took my senior English major capstone, and they explained to us that things that happen in books are often fake. Hmm. I discovered this so-called immortal bard, the <laughs> ultimate time traveler. <laughs> uh, Shakespeare was not an immortal bard. He just uh, was nonlinear in the way that he interacted with it. Yeah, he was in a causality loop. Mm -hmm. uh, there are hey, stories. Does, uh, about does that. anyone note the fact that uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is basically what's going on with the trolls? Uh, I mean, I did when I introduced oh, okay. them. Oh, okay. That was how I opened my summary. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Phew. Uh, no one is like talking about that, at least in the threads, and I don't think it. Uh, it's not like a, a talking point within fandom that I've seen. It should be. Yeah. Something to think about, folks. Uh, yeah, so this is episode 4-3, where we're going to uh, uh, finish up uh, our run with these little gray kids. But first, we need another intermission. 
uh, as if what we just did wasn't enough of an intermission already. We need to talk about TV again, Cameron. Uh, before we recorded, uh, like a couple days ago, you messaged me and you were like, remind me that I need to talk about the righteous gemstones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, about, well, about 15 minutes ago, I looked at the notes and I said, why do you have righteous gemstones? <laughs> well, righteous gemstones season two, uh, just started and, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where if you don't, if you don't like Danny McBride's like shtick and you don't, uh, like David Gordon Green's shtick, then you, you won't like the show. <laughs> That's just you know, <laughs> like the reality of it. Right. So it's kind of a, kind of a, uh. A uh, acquired taste or or a uh, po- um, uh, polarizing one, much like Homestuck, one mm-hmm. might say. Uh, but but what is interesting, you know, we've talked a few times on here. You know, I don't have like a long thing to say about this, but we've talked a few times on here about kind of shifting tones in the way that that Homestuck is borrowing from particular kinds of internet discourse or even like broader types of humor at the time. You know, we've talked to think about. Arrested Development on the show. We've talked about something else, another comedy program from around that time. Um, but uh, what's really interesting to me is that I was watching Righteous Gemstones, and uh, Danny Danny McBride's whole thing is really an Andrew Hussey-ism, mm-hmm. uh, which is like making these uh, these comments that are that are funny, but they get funnier because they build self reflexively on one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start doing things, especially in the, these recent couple episodes of that show, where they are, where the things that, the the jokes or insults or whatever that Danny McBride is like slinging out constantly are meta-reflexive about the structure of the show itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's about like, the, this season is about like the handing off of power and like, uh, you know, the family patriarch and when is he going to age out of his role as a patriarch? Blah blah blah, and and Danny McBride's jokes that you know that his character, I think Jesse Jesse Gemstone, is uh, the kind of humor that he is pushing is like reflective of the like genre itself of like the man passes down the baton, you mm-hmm. know, to his firstborn son, all that kind of stuff. So um, you know, uh, sometimes you got to play a little bit of uh, fi- find the the humor type in the world, and I think that Righteous Gemstones has got some. Really interesting. It leans into that meta humor and meta commentary that that people love to uh, to point at Homestuck for. And you know, if if we had to trace a kind of lineage of like the sometimes meta commentary of like I don't know Anchorman in the early two thousands mm-hmm. into the current period, you can see it right in Righteous Gemstones, and it uh, passes through uh, you know Homestuck. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have not seen Righteous Gemstones at all, so I was really surprised when you said you wanted to talk about it on this show. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, maybe this uh, is is has a bit more going on plot wise than I thought. Uh, Eastbound and Down has a lot. Of, I mean, same creative team, so yeah. So you know, obviously, Eastbound and Down has a lot of it too. But Righteous Gemstones, especially this season, is very kind of uh, yeah, like I said, meta commentary about its its very genre uh, mm-hmm. in in a way that is. Um, it's funny. It's got some great uh, Tim Baltzes in that show. Tim Baltz is very funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Uh, what I wanted to talk about in terms of the little TV check-in uh, was Yellow Jackets, which you have not seen, if I'm no. correct. Okay. Is yes. uh, The first season's over, right? The first season is ending tomorrow as of we are recording this. I think new episodes drop on Sundays. We're recording this on a Saturday. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the final episode, basically, so I can kind of watch it all in a whack. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about it here uh, just because I have uh, spent the last couple of months watching this show Homestuck My Wife. Um, and we've been watching it together, but uh, primarily she is like watching it with her friends and mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, uh, we get together on Discord and uh, we stream it and then. I get up and I go do some other things while she and her friends talk about it and sort of theorize and speculate and do all this stuff. Like my wife has, you know, joined uh, uh, the subreddit and is like reading all the Reddit posts and she's like tracking down uh, the actors on Twitter because they're also tweeting about uh, this kind of thing. Um, And it's been really fascinating, right? Watching all of the kind of mechanisms for this type of thing that we've been talking about through the entire run of this show, right? How does how does a sort of singular story entity, right, media object, um, start to work out into other spaces and then sort of cultivate a, a fan base um, in those spaces? Uh, and you know, what are the what are the things that are built into the story that allow that kind of speculation to happen? So, what's really interesting about Yellow Jackets, if you're someone who's listening who hasn't heard of it. I'll say at the top, um, I do recommend it. Uh, I, I think it's good. Um, I have some like deep personal reservations about it that I will explain in a little bit. Um, but uh, basically, uh, the it's it's like an inverted lost. There is in in the in 1996, I think the late 90s is the point. A uh, team of uh, girls soccer players. Um, is flying to like their national championship and their plane crashes in like the Canadian wilderness. And they are stranded there for, you know, some of them die in the, in the plane crash. Um, some of them survive and the ones that survive are stranded in the wilderness for 19 months before they're eventually discovered and rescued. Um, during the time that they were stranded, uh, it is, told told you in, in actually the first scene right uh they eventually become cannibals and start hunting and uh eating each other um the sort of specifics of this are extremely unclear it's just it's a thing that you know that happened the second move here is that there is a, a another timeline um so whereas lost kind of starts out with here are the characters before they were on the island here's where they are on the island here's uh, Yellow Jacket's doing, here are these characters in the wilderness, and then here they are, like, when they're adults, having, uh, you know, been rescued and sort of spent the majority of their lives, like, with the shadow of this thing that happened to them and sort of all of the rumors and media attention uh, that have circled around them. Um, because it is not common knowledge that cannibalism happened, right? That was always a rumor, but I don't think it's a thing uh, that anyone has ever, like, given interviews about or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, how the show works is that uh, you like Lost, right? You're watching kind of these two timelines and there are characters shared between the timelines and kind of the um, the fun of it, right, is seeing like a character in the past uh, figuring out kind of what their deal is and then seeing how that is still their deal in the present. Um, And then this is all tied up in. Uh, sort of interpersonal drama, right? Because everyone has kind of their own little plot line. Like, for instance, kind of the um, the character who you're introduced to first. She's kind of the main character. Uh, in the late 90s timeline, she is uh, secretly sleeping with her best friend's boyfriend. 
Um, and then in the present day, uh, she is married to her best friend's boyfriend, but it is unclear if her best friend uh, has survived the wilderness as of like the, you know, as of what we've seen in that timeline, she's still alive. Uh, but in the present day, she may be dead. It's not been confirmed, but she's not around. We don't know, you know, we know some people who have died, but we don't know everyone who's died. And we don't know everyone who survived. So there are all these sort of like little uh, holes to fill in, right? Trying to piece together this timeline. Um, but then there's also kind of this overriding question of like, why did they turn to cannibalism? Who did it, right? Like, is there someone who is responsible for it? Uh, is there like a singular character? And so there's like this mysterious figure you see in the first episode who's become known as the Antler Queen uh, because Lord. she's wearing like antlers. And uh, you don't know who a lot of these characters are because they're wearing like furs and pelts and things of that nature. So uh, there, there are people you know who are actually doing the killing, but you don't know who they are. So all of these little mysteries have been built in, right? Who is the antler queen? Uh, you know, what are the little details we can put together to kind of uh, figure this out? Um, and I'm the antler queen. What? I'm the antler queen. Oh, okay. Cameron's the antler queen. It's me. Sorry. Sorry. Spoiled. Spoilers for that. Yeah. Spoilers for the finale. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so there's kind of that happening, right? Uh, and there's also a Vriska. Because uh, there's a it's Christina Ricci's character who's named Misty. Um, and she in the uh, 90s timeline, Misty is like the team manager. She's awkward. She's a nerd. No one likes her. Uh, she's kind of always being bullied and insulted. Uh, but because she uh, is such a nerd, she's also just like read a ton of survivalist books. And so she's the so when they crash in the wilderness, she's the one who knows like how to treat wounds and how to uh, forage for things, uh, how to start fires like she's got all of this knowledge. And so for the first time in her life, all of these girls around her are kind of dependent on her. Um, she's also got some other stuff going on uh, that ties into what she is in the future, which is a, a nurse uh, who is constantly like. Uh, manipulating her she like works I think in a, in a, a care facility I think it's mostly like for elderly people um, and she like will withhold medication until her patients need it like the most right she's she's basically like consistently trying to recreate these uh, toxic conditions under which she is like the sole person that a per that uh, another human being can depend on mm, kind of uh, what is this Munchausen by proxy yes right uh, mm -hmm. it, 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 in more of a conscious way where it's like she understands it as a power move right mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, she's like you are going to like respect that I'm the person who's in control here and there are people on you know the reddit and on twitter who are like oh well you know she was bullied so much when she was a kid you see how this really like <laughs> impacted her uh whereas and you know there are other people who are like well she's she is committing just elder abuse to make herself feel better that is just that is a thing that she's doing um so, you know, there there are all these sort of like uh, discussions to be had about these characters and how their lives fit together and how these trajectories might uh, kind of develop. Um, what is really unique about Yellow Jackets is that uh, basically all the characters are women, right? There are male characters, uh, but they are extremely secondary. They're always husbands or like sort of love interests. Um, and so there's something being done here uh, in kind of a, you know, hive bent alternia kind of mode, especially with um, the 90s plot line 
what happens, it's it's also like explicitly, right, uh, inspired by Lord of the Flies. Uh, what mm. happens with uh, kind of the complex social networks of teenage girls, um, you know, put into kind of this survivalist environment. Now, I also said that there is uh, a sort of reservation I have about the show, which I will say now, because this may save you some trouble if you're the sort of person who's annoyed by this like I am. It is unclear in the show whether or not uh, what is happening in the wilderness is uh, supernatural or psychological. Hmm. Right. There may be some kind of uh, evil spirit or something in the woods that's like influencing the girls to do the cannibalism thing, uh, in which case this is like running full tilt into a Wendigo story. Mm -hmm. Um I don't think that word has been said yet, but like that's obviously like one of the ways that it's leaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the antler queen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, or it's, you know, purely psychological. It may be one or the other. Um, and when it became clear to me in like, I think it, I, I think it was the second episode uh, when I was it was clear to me that this show was going to play supernatural and psychological against each other for its I don't know the foreseeable future it's it supposedly got five seasons in it um i completely checked out because i do not care about that uh if you can't tell me up front like what the basic ground rules of this fictional world are like i do not care because there is nothing sort of more uh disappointing to me than like watching a story of supernatural stuff and then have it all revealed to be psychological or uh, as I tend to think of it in this situation of holding both possibilities kind of in the air so you can choose which one uh, is more convenient for your writing team as the series goes on. Well, it's also it, it does the homestuck, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it provides a platform for speculation and investment. Mm hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's the trick that makes these prestige dramas work. Mm -hmm. Like you know, full stop. It's what uh, we've talked about this in relationship between like Homestuck and Westworld, right? Right. But that mm -hmm. so what made Westworld season one go was your capability to be like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I guess yeah, the other I guess a uh, big thing there is True Detective, which did a similar oh, thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Sure. And and definitely the kind of folk horror elements of the Antler Queen, um, I think are I think that's probably the the tr straightest connection to make uh, to True Detective and what was going on in that first season. Yeah, isn't he the Horned King or something like that? <sighs> the King in Yellow. The King in Yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's just me being a stick in the mud about a particular way of telling stories that I don't like. If this sounds interesting to you and if you've heard lots of people talking about uh, Yellow Jackets and how good it is, uh, maybe. And if it's if you're OK with cannibalism and stuff, uh, you should watch it. It is good. The performances are really good and the characters are interesting. Um, and uh, I hope that they don't do the Wendigo thing, even though I think they're on track to doing a Wendigo thing, because I don't think people need to tell Wendigo stories anymore. Or at least, you know, uh, uh, settlers don't need to do that. But that's just me. Can I read a review of Yellow Jackets? Sure. Yellow Jackets is a hell of a good survival story, a hell of a good mystery story, and has its fair share of horrifying moments. What it's also got, so many current shows don't, is sharp characterization and a mordant sense of humor. Do you know who wrote that review? Stephen Edwin King. Yep, that's mm -hmm. right. That's right, he did do that. And so, he's correct. Uh, the sh that's the other thing I didn't mention, is that the show is very funny, too. It like, does have a mordant sense of humor. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I mean, but that's also homestucky about it, right? Is that it's sure. kind of this like prestige cannibal horror drama thing. And then there are just moments where the characters are like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what are you talking about? Uh, they're not like, you know, sort of they're not doing deflationary moves, mm-hmm. but they have these moments where like they switch modes between kind of like the sort of gothic tendency of the show to like the middle class, like. I am like, like, I'm a woman having marriage problems kind of things. And it's like, mm. this is too much for me to deal with. <laughs> Christina Rishi putting on uh, full face clown makeup. <laughs> that might be in character for her. We'll see. Mm. Uh, uh, one additional final update before we uh, actually talk about what the show is about. Uh, FBoy Island probably coming back fall oh boy. 2022. <laughs> That's great to hear. And uh, now that I have HBO, hopefully I'll still have HBO. Then we can like watch F Boy Island together. We should probably just do a little spinoff show on yeah. F Boy Island. It's <laughs> not hard. That's not a heavy lift. Oh god! <laughs> uh, as far as uh, you know, things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> I will just uh, go ahead and I will jump into the summary. Then the show is going to be called F Boy Limbo. By the way, good. Okay, I like that. When we last left off, I was preparing to introduce the final two trolls, Caligula's Aquarium and Cuttlefish Color, but I got distracted by Troll Romance and its four quadrants. In case you forgot about it, here's how that works. The first quadrant is represented by a red heart and denotes something called matespritship, which is basically the equivalent to the human notion of romance. Opposing this is the quadrant of the Black Spade, or Kismesis, which encapsulates what the narrative calls a potent arch-rivalry, and to give an example here is the relationship between Jack Noir and the Black Queen, or Spade Slick and Snowman. These two forms of romance are most important for the troll reproduction, and when the Imperial drone shows up to collect your genetic material, it carries separate buckets for them. Next is the club, representing the arena of the auspices, an arrangement wherein two people in a tendentious relationship are mediated by a third party. So think here of how Kanaya has operated as a consultant for Vriska with regard to her feelings about Tavros. In the final quadrant, the red diamond stands for Moyer Allegiance, a close platonic friendship of supposedly complementary personalities, the given textual example being Nepeta and Equius. Did you know that every single one of these troll romance words is recognized by the Google Docs spell checker? Anyway, Caligula's Aquarium and Cuttlefish Color turn out to be named Eridan Ampora and Feferi Patius, respectively. They are troll nobility, live in the sea, and have a long-standing relationship wherein Eridan hunts and kills the animal caretakers of other troll children so Feferi can feed them to her Lucis, a massive underwater tentacled monstrosity known as Glub Glub, spelled G-L-apostrophe-B-G-O-L-Y-B. That's in the Google spell checker too, by the way. Murdering other kids' animal parents is no big deal on Alternia, where the caste system ensures that the nobility basically have free reign, and one of Aridan's favorite pastimes is developing plans to genocide the land dwellers, while also believing in magic, which he knows is fake, but like, you know, for fun and pretend. Feferi, it turns out, is at the very top of the caste system, and in fact, next in line for the Alternian throne. Indeed, were it not for the protection of Glub Glub, which can emit a psychic shriek so powerful that it would exterminate all trolls throughout the universe, the troll empress, her imperious condescension, probably would have had Feferi assassinated a long time ago. Because despite her chat handle, upon her ascension, Feferi wants to reorganize Alternian society to be less bloodthirsty and more caring. 
This makes for some odd tension with her Moirel Aridin, and that's made all the more complicated by the fact that Aridin isn't content with their relationship as is and wants to upgrade things from diamonds to something more hearts-based. Naturally, he springs this on her when she's feeling most comfortable and secure, which is to say, after they've initiated the Ludo apocalypse of their entire species and he's drawn her into the game as his client player. Feferi shuts him down. Meanwhile, Karkat fumbles bringing the last player, Solix, into the game before Glub Glub emits a death scream and kills him. Feferi, knowing of this, zips off to Solix's house and resurrects him through a newly revealed game mechanic. By kissing the corpse of a dead player, their dream self is awakened, regardless of prior status, and the dream self now becomes the main version of that player. Karkat watches this go down and is disgusted. Spade Slick, at the Exile Terminal on post-apocalyptic Alternia we saw at the end of the intermission, watches Carcat watch this go down and is also disgusted. Andrew Hussey, who is watching everyone watch all this go down through the fourth wall while also wearing shitty troll cosplay, expresses exasperation at how much they have to watch people watch stuff after they were chased into a creepy magic attic by some school bullies, just like in the never-ending story. The MSPA reader, who is watching A.H. indulgently interrupt the story with yet more self-insertion bullshit, briefly contemplates suicide. A.H. takes umbrage at the reader's impatience and explains how hard their life is, re bullies and how creepy they find the attic where they are trapped to reinforce the fact that this is ah's story they threaten to make us read all of the troll romance exposition again and then in fact do it but once again being a good podcast host i've already taken care of that for you apparently mollified by this outburst hussy settles down and foregoes writing another recap in favor of getting back to the story what happens is this the trolls all end up in the game and have various briefly glimpsed kooky adventures Feferi and Solix become an item. Tavros and Riska hang out and collect treasure. Nepeta and Equius fight some ogres, and so on. And every step of the way, they are guided by their exiles, who turn out to be the Midnight Crew and the former Black Queen, Snowman. Meanwhile, Karkat finds a trans-temporal memo system in the Trollian chat client, through which he tries to dispense orders to the team, but mostly ends up arguing with past and future versions of himself and his friends, but mostly himself. Because of the time loop nature of the game, this means that from here on the trolls know that their game is destined to fail, but current Karkat's main plan is to insist that future him is an idiot and wrong until much later when he becomes his future self and tries to deliver the warnings he already knows his past self will ignore. What this means for, you know, free will and individual importance and stuff is understandably quite depressing. Kanaya, in her land of rays and a mysterious garbled word we're not allowed to know yet, tries to cheer future Karkat up, but he passes out because he sees future Kanaya perform chainsaw surgery on Tavros to give him robot legs built by Equius, which is a thing we already saw happen a while ago but I didn't mention until now. Current Karkat has some melancholy chats too, this time with Terezi, with whom he's entered into a sort of secret heart-style relationship. They mention Karkat's dream self hasn't woken up, but Terezi's awakened at the moment she lost her sight, which she understands is an overall critical development for herself as a person that expanded her ways of engaging with the world. In a Flash animated flashback, we see how that happened. 
After Terezi got Doc Scratch to blow up Vriska's cue ball, an enraged, maimed Vriska used her psychic powers to seize control of Tavros. She then used Tavros's animal communion abilities to awaken Terezi's Lucis, an unhatched dragon sleeping in a giant egg outside Terezi's hive, which is another thing I could have mentioned earlier but didn't. Then, using Tavros to use the dragon's psychic link with Terezi, Vriska caused her friend to sleepwalk out of her hive and then open her eyes, staring directly into the harsh Alternian sun. Simultaneous with this, Terezi's dream self awakened on Prospet and stared directly into Skaya, rendering both Terezi's selves blind. We then glimpse a few other scenes of the trolls playing the game, gathering loot, and fighting critters. At some point, Aridin and Sullux come to blows, but the outcome of that is unknown at the moment. More pressingly, Robo Aradia tracks down Vriska and beats the ever-loving shit out of her, leaving her for dead in front of a baffled Tavros. This causes Vriska's dream self to finally awaken on Prospet, and Dream Terezi is there to deliver her a good-natured slap across the face. Diamond's Droog, who on future Alternia has dispensed the command to Aradia to, quote, make her pay, next tells Aradia to finish up the story. She explains to him that she knows what she's doing and doesn't need any orders, and then in a long, fatalistic memo written to herself, explains how the troll session wrapped up. Eventually, the trolls reach the end of the game and assembled near Skaya to fight the 12 times prototyped Black King. As the time traveler of the group, Aradia had countless copies of herself from offshoot timelines in the battle in order to aid the team. It was an arduous fight, but the trolls eventually won. We see the trolls arranged on a platform in front of a large, Spurb-style doorway, which Karkat reaches out to open. However, before this could happen, Aradia tells us, the trolls were attacked by a mysterious entity unleashed into their session from another future session of the game that triggered a rift in paradox space, a cloud of crackling green energy known as a scratch. Whatever this is, or why it happened, is yet to be seen, but the creature, the demon, thus ushered into the session, forced the trolls into hiding on the meteor lab in the veil from which they had been trolling the kids. This denied them access to the game's ultimate reward, a whole new universe they created by playing the game, a universe where their creation of it is commemorated in the stars themselves which is to say, the universe containing Earth. Since, as we all could have guessed, Hivebent made this world. Act 5, Act 1 ends, and we are left on the precipice of Act 5, Act 2. There's, there's the punchline for what we're doing with the episode numbers here, I guess. <laughs> hey, was that a uh, deflationary move I just detected? Mm, a little bit. <clears throat> That's interesting. <laughs> Uh, maybe this is a thing to say uh, right after the uh, summary here. Mm-hmm. Feels like the wheels are falling off this whole enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me, tell me more about that. Uh, I, you know, I'll have more to say about it in the next part of Zone as mm-hmm. well. So you know, we'll get into it, but uh, when we get there uh, as well, but. Uh, this is the first time this reading for this part of zone is the first time where I have felt like truly why am why am I reading this <laughs> if 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 I had been doing this live, I definitely would have quit mm-hmm. like one hundred percent would have quit because uh it's all the things that we've talked about so far kind of hyper extended 
Mm-hmm. So it requires you to have a an extreme amount to really track like moment by moment what's going on. It requires you to have a very extreme amount of knowledge of like the game rules of of suburb scrub. Mm-hmm. You, you need to really have those, and it's not even handholdy in the way that it was like a couple partisodes ago. It it's it's just stuff happening, and you need to know the structure of the suburb scrub game in order to understand the kind of broad structural thing that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's constantly cutting back and forth between different moments between these twelve different characters, and you really have to have in your head. All of them and their, like, even though they're short, they're personal histories. You have mm-hmm. to, like, really have them differentiated in your brain to know exactly what's going on here. I had to reread this section where uh, Terezi gets blinded because that dragon showed up and I was like, mm-hmm. what is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what? Like, mind control is happening and there's, like, dragon magic, all kinds of shit like that, right? Mm hmm. <laughs> It, it just the the amount we've talked a lot about complexity so far and complexity is balanced out by community participation in Homestuck up until this point, meaning that uh, the, the Homestuck could enter into a point of truly infinite complexity and it wouldn't matter because there's always someone or some something or a discussion entity to catch you if you fall. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of what makes Homestuck work as a thing. Uh, and at this point of production, Hussey is leaning into that so hard. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I mean, I think that for me as a reader, there there would be a breaking point, And this probably would, would get there. This combined with some stuff in the next part is owed. Uh, I think that if I were like truly a just, you know, reader who had made it this far, I probably would not continue. And what's really interesting, and that's not to say I don't like what's happening. That that's the interesting thing. It's the the individual plot points are actually pretty interesting. And I like some of the developments that are going on here. And I think the writing, uh, although it is quite different from what's been in Homestuck so far, I think there there's a real sea change that that you can feel in these, I don't know, um, uh, five hundred pages or so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over the next couple partisodes. Uh, I think it's good. Like I and and it's really interesting how Hussey is leaning into some of the desires of the fan community to kind of play off of those um, in a very giving way. In contrast to the the very trollish and taking awayish thing of the ecto babies, whatever they're called, <laughs> right? Uh, and so you could really feel all that. I think it's really interesting. You know, I think sometimes, and and you know, we see, I see this this comment occasionally. I think people think I don't like Homestuck. <laughs> uh, I like Homestuck just fine, but you know, we're we're talking about the thing as it lays and uh, our uh, uh, emotional reactions to it, mm-hmm. and those go up and down. You know, I can take it or leave it. But I think, like in just a pure enjoyment, like do I find every page that I'm reading to be emotionally or intellectually fulfilling enough to continue reading it, this would be a place where I would have dropped it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that uh, it's interesting how much this mirrors what is happening in kind of the reader response, right? At least as it gets filtered through the something awful thread. Um, because on the one hand, most of the people who are posting in the thread are still totally on board 
but also this this part episode and the next part episode, kind of for the reading here, this is where we're really going to start seeing uh, some fracturing happen, where people are saying, "I just I'm not into this comic anymore." Right. I, I'm not reading it anymore. It became something different. Um, and of course, it's 2010 online. They're actually being a lot more confrontational in this and a lot more critical. Uh, but this is essentially what's happening. And then we're sort of like spinning off into arguments about how or how Homestuck has changed or how it hasn't. Or like, if you don't like it now, then you never liked it for the right reasons to begin with and that sort of thing. Um <laughs> uh, I mean, more power to him, I guess. Yeah. If that's, if that's <laughs> where you're coming from. Right. Um, but yeah, you, you, so, uh, to touch on something I said earlier, the other reason that historical Michael isn't posting in the thread for kind of these couple of chunks is not just because I'm busy. It's because, uh, aside from just like the story happening, there's not a lot here that I care about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, uh, or rather like not enough to post about, like, I, like you, I like this story in kind of the broad strokes. I really like uh, the way that the story produces characters uh, and the ways that it can like play those characters off of each other. Um, that's plenty of fun. Uh, but also, I remember quite specifically during the reveal here at the end of, of Hivebent that the, the purpose of the game is to create a new universe. Mm -hmm. um and this this like blows people's minds right there's there's people in thread being like oh my god what hussy gets a whole bunch of form spring questions about this um and for me uh this was the most obvious thing that could happen (laughs) like not that i uh necessarily called it uh because i wasn't like oh i bet the trolls are going to create like the human like universe right Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was more just like, of course they did. That's why they have the Zodiac signs on their shirts. That's how this story works. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'd thought about it too hard, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a general sense. And so when it came up, I also was like, oh, yeah, of course, like that. You know, it, it wasn't really shocking. Um, but, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing, right, where Homestuck is always reinterpreting its own past, mm-hmm. you know, in the moment of its writing. But, you know, if you think about the um, explanation of Suburb that we got, you know, a million years ago, it makes total sense that, like, Suburb is a thing that makes things for Suburb to operate on. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, yeah, uh, you know, that that is implicit in the explanation that is before, but it is made very explicit here. Uh, a few times in belabored ways <laughs> um but but uh but yeah i can see that being really you know surprising and shocking especially because you know i think part of the the i don't know brilliance of the writing style you know or, or of the plotting style maybe is is the more appropriate thing to say i think the brilliance of it is that it leaves things lying fallow for so long that when it brings it back you might have forgotten about them mm-hmm. and and then that that shock of remembrance so more than even the callback in itself right but the shock of like oh i did know that and i've forgotten about it but here it is now that that i think is is always a um you know i mean that's that's the twist you know mm-hmm. in a very basic 19th century kind of way you know that's sherlock holmes uh, the thing that you knew about the whole time really mattered <laughs> way more than you thought it would. That th- this is the the kind of core of serial publication mm-hmm. <laughs> in its broadest form. So, 
uh, I'm not, not, you know, I, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me that, that people would be really engaged by that, um, and, and, and really interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, where that's the media culture we live in. This is just doing it in a, in a very different way. And that kind of leaving things for a long time, you know, I was trying to, after I read this and I was like, ah, you know, this is kind of hard for me to stick with. I was, I was thinking about other places in the comic where I also, you know, uh, was frustrated or didn't enjoy it or whatever. And the kind of, I, I really feel like a lot of the sections with the trolls are kind of like if you had, you know, 12 playing cards and you just shuffled them together and just drew two randomly at a time. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, all right, well, what could happen between these two characters? Mm-hmm. And then you write a little scene about that. And then you shuffle back in and then you draw two and then you say, all right, well, what could happen between these two characters? Um, and that to me, this kind of combinatory. Um, using all the pieces in front of me to do some arbitrary thing that obviously will have an impact later, but is really just kind of novel in the moment. Uh, that that's the the oh god, what's the where they're combining all the objects? What's that called? Uh, oh oh oh, the alchemy thing in the game. Yeah. You mean okay? Yeah, but w- w- there's a there's a word, a fan word that you've been using, or maybe it's in the comic itself, right? Where they're like just producing all kinds of garbage. For like pages and pages of no, the time. The, the alchemy binges. Alchemy binges. The trolls are written for me in, my, in the way that I feel it, like an alchemy binge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of the discussion between them, or so many of the instances in where that are not big plot, you know, capital P plot instances, like um, you know, bad or long term things happening to people. Mm-hmm. It just feels like an alchemy binge to me. Of like. Here's here's the stuff. Isn't it interesting how they combine together? We mm-hmm. got a little bit of characterization here. All right, time for the next one, and time for the next one, especially the uh, uh, the forums or wh- or whatever Carcat calls them. Um, oh, the memos, the memos that right? are straight like, up. They they are they are written like forums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're for, big forum posts <laughs> or you know big forum. Um, I don't know threads, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 to me, there's a really there's a formal uh, alliance between these two things, right? That this kind of video gamey combinatory, um, just doing it for the heck of it because it's fun, really spinning wheels on the universe and its rules. The shape that took early in Homestuck were these alchemy binges. The shape that takes now post troll introduction is interactions themselves. The, the trolls themselves are a form of just content spinning up, mm-hmm. and uh, there are big important you know pillars of that. But lots of these are just characterization, which is not to like say characterization isn't worthwhile or good or whatever, but it provides texture for the world in the same way that creating like a big goofy hammer, uh, you know, or uh, 15 different types of sword, the way that those create texture for a world. Mm -hmm. It's just that the world post act five and the world pre act five are very different. Yes. (laughs) Uh, What those textures look like are really different. Yeah, and the the memos are a great example of that because the memos are essentially just a way to take a thing that we already have, which are these pester logs, uh, and then how do I get more than two people in one of these? Oh, okay, I make it a memo, which basically reads like a forum thread. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you can have primarily a conversation between like Carcat and someone else, uh, but then you also have all of these other characters coming in to add their two cents and get banned or what have you. Um and exactly what you were saying, right? This this kind of combinatory, like here here is a new way for these characters to interact that is just a kind of permutation of the way that they were already interacting, right? A kind of uh, a formal fork of it in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, here are some stats. Technically, this comes from a Formspring uh, 
response that uh, Hussey posts uh, for the stuff in the next part episode. But one of the beautiful things about being, you know, a reader untethered in time is I can reach forward and backward as I wish and, uh, you know, make things happen. Um, here, here are the stats that Hussey calculates for hive bent. It lasts 98 days. Uh, there are a total of 635 pages. Oh, there are 700 Seven in, a day. <laughs> yeah, there, there are 737 images, mm-hmm. one three minute flash animation and about 70,000 written words. So that's a that's a, you know, short novel. Yeah, that's a novel written in a third of a year. Yeah. Um, 7.5 images per day, 714 words per day. Wow. Yeah. Do we know what the t- I mean, I'm sure we do know, but do you know off the top of your head what the total word count for Homestuck is? Um, <clears throat> around 800,000. Oh, OK, I, I definitely thought that it would it would have crested a million. But yeah. Uh, I guess some of those earlier things have way less text. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but because the tech, the text per, uh, you know, whatever post at this point is very large. Yeah. <laughs> is like massive. Yeah. Someone in the thread, either at this point or, or very, very soon for the next part of so, uh, makes the observation that essentially what we're reading now is like an illustrated novel. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Um, I don't really care for, uh, what's this guy's name? Eridan. Eridan. Yep. Aridan. Boy, he's Hard our second ass. fascist. I know what I, I, do is there, uh, ever been an explanation of why, why the trolls have a blood fascist society? You asked this question sort of last time, and I'm going to say yeah. what I said before, which is there is a, in, there's a lore based in universe explanation um, that is probably not going to be very exciting for you. Uh, there is also, and I, I promise you this, and I promise you this, uh, dear listener, uh, there's, this is going to become plot relevant in its ways. Like th- this story is going to end up saying something about these characters and sort of what it thinks of them. Okay. So, um, well, great. Yeah. Uh, the the thing that's really fascinating about Aridin when he first shows up uh, is that everyone is like, <laughs> so I, I think um, Hussey says in the book commentary, it's like now to meet this guy who when he showed up, everyone called him like, I think, like hipster Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> and like into something awful. Th- and this is funny to me because like it's not a thought that I had at all when I first saw Aridin, but like rereading the something awful thread is like, yeah, no, 100 percent. Like this is what people are saying when they first see Aridin because uh, he's got these big, thick uh, rimmed uh, glasses. He's got like this scarf. He's also wearing a flying or he's also uh, riding a flying seahorse who is his dad. But that's not really a Harry Potter thing. That's just more of a troll mm-hmm. thing. Well, I, that actually is a Harry Potter thing. They just never get into it. Oh, that's honest. right. Uh uh, Rowling yeah. came out <laughs> after one of the uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Grindelwald yeah. movies, and she was like, "I never said this in the books, but James is James Potter was a, a flying seahorse, flying seahorse, yeah, um, one of her many uh, bad ideas." <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, Aridin is uh, a complete asshole, just a 
awful, awful person, uh, as I already said, like obsessed with uh, creating plans to genocide the land dwellers, which he considers to be kind of his birthright at like basically, you know, being being fascist and genocidal is what he understands as like proper class performance for someone of, uh, uh, you know, Alternian nobility. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is also and this is a huge uh, discussion that is happening in the essay thread as well. Um, he's also what we uh, called. I don't know what we call this. Type, well, actually, I know what we call it now. Maybe um, it's what we used to call a nice guy. Yeah, he's a little Internet sad boy. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he loves to talk about like how how strongly he feels things. Uh, it's just, it's so hard being him. You wouldn't understand for fairy. Oh my God. I just have so many emotions. If, if if only someone would listen to me about the emotions that I had and maybe establish a kind of intimacy with me, that would be really cool. I would love that. Um, so, you know, one of the questions kind of, uh, in the thread for a moment is like, what's the comic stance on this dude, right? Is this like, cool behavior or are we going to see him kind of uh get hoisted and as it happens we see him get hoisted where he tries to uh uh you know maneuver for fairy into like a like you know this is very predatory like this is a thing that the trolls are constantly doing um trying to maneuver her into a a different sort of relationship uh and she just has to say like oh no actually i was even going to like friendship break up with you basically um, because as our as the entrance or the, the introductory text for Arid, and I still really love this, uh, I, I how does it phrase it? It says uh, like it's like most people agree that you are and then in all capitals kind of a tool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as a, like an object description. Right, because the, the, uh, if, you, if you're not reading the comic, how it will often go is that like your name is all caps, you know, Aridin Ampora. Uh, you live in, you know, all caps, uh, a sunken ship or whatever. So sort of like, you know, text, uh, like a text adventure, uh, important object description. It says, Most people would agree that you are all caps, a bit of a tool. <laughs> Have I, uh, what you, well, oh, hold on, let me, let me say this first. The people on the, uh, internet, I, this, this person's got to still exist. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, like, this, is- this is a, this is a, like a very wide, in, in the way that all the trolls are like a type of person on the internet in the early, or not the early 2000s, I guess, but like around 2009, 2010, uh, they're like people you would encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aradan is like probably the most encountered of all of these people. Mm-hmm. I have definitely seen more and interacted with more Aradans in my life than I have like Equuses, even though I've seen a lot of Equuses on the internet, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, are people, they're, they're like, they know that immediately. One of the things that keeps coming up in the Something Awful thread um, is uh, the question, which troll is the goon troll? Uh, if you weren't on the Something Awful forums uh, or aren't uh, at the moment, like that's what people on the forums called themselves were, you know, the goons. So the question in the thread is like, which one of these guys is us? Right. Uh, and there are. Three- well, I mean, uh, there's a whole uh, forum dedicated to <laughs> Air- Aerodance. It's called E.N. So <laughs> straight up, people are like, oh, my God, this guy is like a living E.N. post. Yeah. <laughs> 
He is. Uh, so Ian uh, on the Something Awful forums, it's E slash N. It means everything, nothing. The idea behind the, the sub forum uh, is that this is where you post about your personal problems that um, mean everything to you, but nothing to anyone else. Um, and it was just full of guys like this talking about like weird interactions that they'd had, uh, usually guys talking about weird interactions that they had with girls and uh, uh, like often sometimes girlfriends uh, and then asking for relationship advice. And <laughs> I mean, this is entire this is an entire like cottage industry now of reading uh, Am I the Asshole posts on Reddit and <laughs> screen capping them, right? It's it's a direct yeah. outgrowth of this exact type of thing. Um, except it feels like on the something awful forums you got, uh, because I think there weren't as many eyes on it. Uh, you got a, a, a lot more people who were just like, I am an awkward, like late teen, 20 something guy on the internet. And I'm going to talk very openly about my girl problems and then get insulted for pages upon pages until I like, you know, abandon my account. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, that was kind of the maneuver. And also, and also you would get a lot more fine-grained detail about people's lives mm-hmm. um you know because because there are fewer but yeah you're right i mean th- this is en is the predecessor you know I, I i think for am i the asshole uh i think people might liken that more to uh something uh like miss manners you know that mm-hmm. kind of like did i make the right choice but i don't think that's necessarily correct i actually do i agree with you i think that forums like en which are these like demarcated spaces for trying to figure out the social mm-hmm. um, and like to mourn your location in the social. That is uh, absolutely like where the am I the asshole ethic, you know, emerges out of. So, yeah, I think uh, Aerodan is exactly that. Have I have I talked on the show about the person I played against on Magic Online who was this kind of person? This sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know if you talked about it on this show. I don't, yeah, the short version of it is, is that I was one time playing Magic Online, which has a, uh, uh, like a chess clock on it, you know, Mm -hmm. I think each player gets 25 minutes, Um, and I was playing like a draft game or something like that, and someone uh, started chatting with me, just bemoaning and mourning their, uh, uh, like, they're draws in this like card game for children <laughs> on the internet, right? And it's like, oh yeah, it's a bummer to like get a bad beat, and you know, like it sucks to lose or whatever. And so I, I was being kind of nice in response, right? It felt like a very early two thousands reaction where I was like, hey, you know, that this just happens. You know, I, I drew really well. I, you know, I opened some really good cards, and that's just kind of what happens, right? Like. Uh, you know, good games. And so I like in the middle of the game and, and this person just won't stop. They, you know, it's, it's like uh, not one message in response, but like message, 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 message. It's like reading <laughs> a, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a troll uh, chat, uh, chat log. Right. And mm-hmm. so uh, this person's doing it and I'm responding. And so in the middle of the game, because they won't concede and I'm not going to concede because uh, they just want to sit and talk to me, I guess. And so I, in the middle of the game, I like screen cap the thing and then like black out the names, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, I, I remember posted, seeing I was, these. Okay, this is why this is familiar. Yeah. So this was like from, you know, and I like put it on Twitter and I was like, this is truly one of the oddest interactions I've had in years on the Internet. <laughs> right. Like this is like something right out of a different era. And then in the middle of our game, that person, I guess, Googles me and finds my Twitter. Oh, my God. And then starts responding to me on Twitter, <laughs> doing the same thing. It was awful. And, like, I, like, you know, hindsight's 2020, and this was, like, several years ago. This is, like, five, six years ago. And, like, 
hindsight, I just never would have done that, right? In fact, when that person started talking to me now, if this occurred in 2022, I would simply not respond to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is not a thing I'm interested in in my life and was not then, but I was too naive to, to do it. But, and so, yes, yeah, so then I enter into this long, and it's all, like, internet sadness, like, I can't believe I'm not good at the game, I can't believe that people get so much luckier than I am, and obviously that's quite different than, like, emotion posting about your relationships or whatever, but it's the same, like, formal apparatus, right, of, like, the performance of the morning of whatever event is happening to you, and just wanting someone to validate that which I absolutely get, and I think that's really important, but it goes down really uncomfortable and weird rabbit holes mm -hmm. um, because, like, strangers on the internet m might not exist to validate, uh, you know, you and your deepest emotions, which is hard to, to, to deal with, and that might be the only person or the only method that someone has, right? I have a lot of empathy for that, but that's all to say. You can really see that happening with Aradan, even though, you know, he has a social network of some sort, but it comes up, you know, he starts doing these posts in the um in the like the forum things and everyone's like, "Oh my god, Aradan, shut up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Stop talking about it. We don't care." Well, it's like in every conversation he has with anyone else, uh, almost inevitably or inexorably, like draws toward him trying to maneuver them into some sort of troll romance situation with him. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, that that's Aridin. Uh Everyone kind of recognizes him as like the nice guy, right? The guy on the Internet who basically like the, the stereotype here circa 2010. I, I think there's, you know, still versions of this, although the, the nomenclature has probably changed, who chats with girls online uh, basically to like run up a, a, a surplus of goodwill that he can then try to turn around and like force you into some sort of like romantic relationship or entanglement with him. Mm. Uh, I guess the most recent iteration of this that I'm aware of, and I'm sure that there are more recent ones than I'm not, but this is kind of also the soft boy. Yeah, I was gonna, this is that yeah, that's where the the where that kind of idea went was into the soft boy. Last I was uh, really aware of it. Mm hmm. So and that's an interesting thing, too, right, because uh, the nice guy uh, here, right, uh, is being commingled with a couple of other things. So Aridan has this weird thing about magic, which he knows is fake. He <laughs> believes it's fake, but he loves to to read about it and think about it. And he has mm -hmm. uh, uh, like stashes of shitty wands in the same way that Day's house had stashes of like shitty swords. Um, So he. Uh, is constantly reading about magic, but also talking about how magic is fake and not real, uh, which uh, some of the readers are connecting with the 2010s Internet atheist guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the, the other, I guess, thing to, to sort of like pull out here that's maybe a little bit submerged by history is that, uh, you know, there is a particular like this is not submerged by history. This part, uh, there is an emerging uh, reactionary kind of, of, you know, force online, right? We're going to see that uh, more and more kind of historically. And we're seeing that, you know, really uh, running uh, uh, on all cylinders today. Um, but uh, the way that it was kind of popularly imagined at this point in time uh, is that like, I mean, these are people like, so the, the, the goons 
in the forums uh, have three candidates for who is the goon troll. One of them is Aridin, right? And that tells you something about kind of like the politics and presentation of people on something awful and about something awful itself, right? Especially mm -hmm. as we can kind of like look forward into history and see uh, where, where you know, some of this stuff goes. Um, the second one is Equius, right? Uh, because yeah. he is also yeah. the fascist uh, and also a huge weird pervert. Um, and then the third one is Tavros. Because he is ultimately okay. pitiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, those are kind of the character profiles that a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, no, these are these are the guys who are posting on the, the troll version of the something awful forums. So none of the whatever. girls, huh? Uh, no, not really. Although, like, eventually, uh, of, of course, this is a thing that we still see in fandom today. People start making, like, photoshopped or faked uh, forum posts that are, like, in character as the characters. Mm -hmm. um, of course. And so and when, when that starts happening, then everyone's posting, right? It's not just like, oh, this is the only, like, these are the only guys who would post here because there's, like, a bunch of, uh, of ne fake Nepeta posts, uh, mm -hmm. One of the things that you can do on the Something Awful forums is uh, you can pay to change someone else's avatar. Yep. Um, and you can and avatars have like little captions underneath them. And if you want to, when you when, basically on the Something Awful forums, if someone pisses you off, you can pay to change their avatar and the text below it. And you can make the text really, really big and red. So it's like attention grabby and like detracts entirely from whatever post they're making. Um, so there is a series of posts that gets made uh, where people are like photoshopping here. Here, here are the red text uh, avatars that like Nepeta would get that Carcat would get and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, in in sort of like the earlier stages when people are trying to figure out who is the goon troll, uh, none of the girls. The goon troll is Terezi. <laughs> Like, uh, I, I mean, you know, if I have to make some arbitrary, you know, whatever, right? Because it's not you know, cleanly one to one, but like uh, kind of a scamp uh, will legitimately do destructive things because it's kind of funny. You know, mm -hmm. she killed John. Yeah. <laughs> like she murdered John, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, is like all about the Internet and all about being like kind of a like a uh, like a weirdo on the internet you mm -hmm. know we'll, we'll really like take an idea and run with it and and uh, drive it into the ground at mm -hmm. maximum speed because uh, she thinks it's funny yeah that's uh, that's that's the uh, the goon spirit there yeah. I think I agree she's got that the the kind of uh um the irony two step down right where she can yeah. like do a thing and then always kind of roll with it no matter what the response is yeah that's why her and Dave are best friends yes we'll exactly later, but Hey, this is the middle of the episode, and we're here to record an ad. Uh, we've been talking. We record these ads at the end. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm breaking. I'm going behind the curtain, Michael. Mm -hmm. We record these at the end of when we record other stuff. We kind of do it, you know, at the end of the thing. And we've been talking for five hours mm -hmm. about Homestuck. Wow, we. Can you imagine doing yeah, that? Could you? Couldn't be me. I can't. Wouldn't be me. Uh, but uh, here we are to tell you about our Patreon, patreon.com slash range touch. It's a place where you can get all kinds of additional things from us to check out. You can get the bonus episodes for Just King Things. Uh, and you can also get the bonus episodes for Homestuck Made This World. We've already recorded an episode on Con Air. You can listen to us talk about that and its relationship to Homestuck. 
there's also a long episode of us talking about problem sleuths. You can check those out. They're up right now. You can go to, again, patreon.com slash range touch, and it is down in the description below this episode, wherever you're listening to it, where you can check that out. Um, your support is very much appreciated because we make this, uh, it takes a lot of time to do it. It takes a lot of research hours from Michael, and uh, it takes a lot of reading from me. Reading's hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, time is money and, uh, also time is space. And, uh, that means space is money. This is me doing a hustle. Yes. Does it work? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Like okay. the aspect of money. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also money is eggs. Mm-hmm. Just going to throw that one out there. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of work to make the you. show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but if you, if you enjoy listening to Homestuck Made This World and you don't support us currently, think about throwing some uh, cash our way. It would be really appreciated, and we are entire, entirely user-supported. Uh, we have turned down sponsorships in the past mm-hmm. uh, because we want to remain user-supported. That's me doing a voice <laughs> that makes you feel comfortable and good <laughs> about the amount of money that you give us. Uh, so think about doing that if you haven't already, and if you do currently, thanks. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Big ups to you. Do you have any reviews for us to read? I don't have any, but I can look one up right now. So another way you can help out is uh, if you have listened to an episode and you liked it, then you can tell someone who someone in your life who might be interested in the show about it. Uh, someone that you know personally, but a really good way to tell people that you don't even know to communicate with strangers who you would otherwise have no reason to interact with uh, about this show, about our work and, and uh, why you think it's so cool is you can go to your podcast platform of choice and you can leave us a five star review that really does, uh, you know, help surface us in the algorithm and uh, gets more eyes on us. And if you say something that is particularly fun and delightful, then Cameron will read one five star review on air during these ad breaks. This is from Not Helix. Uh, just a title, just great. I was living in a different part of the internet when Homestuck was happening, and I appreciate Michael's evident affection for and critical engagement with the story. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's it's from Not Helix. Thanks so much, Not Helix, Thank for you. that review. And you can leave a review, five star review. Uh, we might read your uh, your review on the air. We'll let you get back to the episode. Goodbye. Well, not goodbye. Uh, hello again. <laughs> The other thing to note here, just historically, uh, we have uh, so our ending or our reading for today ends uh, in September of 2010 on August 21st. Official troll T-shirts start being sold. Oh, smart. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, uh, one of the things that's interesting here, so uh, up until this point, Hussey has been selling MSPA merchandise through the Topedo Co. storefront. Mm -hmm. Um, The demand for uh, these troll t-shirts is expected to be so high that uh, they have to be sold outside of Topedo Co. Um, Wow, really? Well, because first of all, it's 12 new designs. Um, and, uh, Hussey says like, there's no way of knowing like which designs are going to be the most like desired. So Mm. we're like handling this through an entirely different storefront. Um, it turns out that all of them are desired. These things sell out super fast. They basically sell out in a couple of weeks and then, uh, every month for the next couple of months, it's like, Hey, troll t-shirts are back. Um, 
Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've got the the kind of merch machine rolling. Uh, one of the things we've said is that Homestuck uh, has a changing story. It has a changing fandom. And in many ways, it like changes its fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hussey is aware of this in one of the form spring responses talks about how someone's like, you know, hey, uh, what's up with this troll thing? Like, why is it uh, going on so long, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Hussey explains like, you know, like uh, uh, in terms of the fandom, like the people who are here still reading it are the people who like it. Uh, they would have been here anyway. People who are leaving, that's fine uh, because I like other people are coming in and reading this more. Uh, one of the specific line is something like, you know, the trolls have been like uh, jet fuel uh, poured on the fandom. Uh, so like the energy is changing and Hussey is very aware of this. Uh, you know, this is something that is said, uh, the kind of readership that seems to be resonating with some of the soap opera qualities of the hive bit drama um, uh, are like, they have this very different energy Um and then uh, goes on to say, uh, you know, th- there's kind of a, a an emerging sense of the division between the two types of fan, right? Uh, this is contrasted with um, the stuff that was going on in Problem Sleuth and what what you might have been into if you became a fan of this uh, comic during Problem Sleuth. And then Hussey says, and the really funny thing is that there is a huge amount of overlap between these two groups of people. They just have gradually modified their appetites for the type of entertainment being dispensed. Not everyone has, though. Some stormed off in a in a huff when they saw John fuck around in his room for two solid months or when we watched a bunch of alien kids get really emotional for three months, although they are still secretly visiting the website. So even even my readers are still still reading. Um, Mm -hmm. There's another interesting form spring response about the trolls where uh, Hussey kind of lays out the logic of how how the trolls work in the story. So the the question basically, and this is Hussey paraphrasing the question, uh, was the troll arc and to some extent the existence of the trolls altogether really an elaborate setup as a long con to troll the readers? So way back um, uh, in, at the end of Act Four, when I described like the you know ectobio clone uh, switcheroo and how that kind of read to historical Michael as a kind of directed trolling. Um, certain readers, especially in the something awful thread, but I think also in the official forums, this is getting reiterated, uh, carry this forward and are constantly asking, are parts of this meant to like troll me? Are you trolling us? And everything becomes a kind of, uh, you know, there's a, a, it becomes a canned response. Anything happens in the comic that's like weird or you think it's like, uh, uh, stupid. Well, that's just Hussey trolling you. And so Hussey, uh, has to come out and say, uh, well, uh, yes and no, right? The existence of the trolls themselves uh, is not a long con to troll the readers, uh, but, uh, and here I'll continue reading, there's a little truth to it in the sense that uh, creating alien kid characters who were both internet trolls and literal trolls could very well have been a kind of, mm, note this, uh, uh, this is just some poor phrasing, I think, racial avatarization of my own semi-trolling tendencies as an author, uh, which had been on display well before their appearance. Psych outs, cagey self-referential stuff and the like, it's all a little spunky, and I remain aware of this, and this stuff does fall into a certain class of trolling. Totally granted. But 
All that became much more tangible with the introduction of the trolls. Everything about the trolls was always at least a little antagonizing with varying degrees of playfulness, both to the other characters and to the reader as well. Their text is a bit difficult to parse, not impossible, just enough to make you aware of the additional reading effort. They are all a little ornery, and, as it turns out, excessively emotional. Their role in the plot is one of bumbling sabotage and interference with the protagonists. And finally, in maybe the most trollish display yet, their entire introduction through a detour arc clearly is a bit uh, agitating to anyone eager to see some of the uh, you know prior cliffhangers resolved. It's entirely in the spirit of the indentation they have already made on the story. The reader can either fight it, uh, in which case, you know, parentheses, trolls win, or roll with it and embrace it on the terms it's presented, in parentheses, trolls still win. So this is an interesting kind of defense of how this story is developing as well, right? Uh, what you said is that you, you you sense kind of the wheels coming off. You don't know what you're getting from it. If you were reading this historically, you might have checked out then. Uh, and Hussey is like, well, that's that's a win, right? Because these are trolls and trolls always win. If you stop reading a troll, then the troll is one because the entire point was for the troll to try to get you to stop reading. Uh, whereas if you come to love the troll, then the troll has still won, but in another way. Wow. Mm hmm. Real. Uh, uh, I've been proven wrong in class and I can't let that happen. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is it is going to be interesting going forward. I'm going to have more to say about this, I think, in the next part episode um, about uh, uh, this structure of like authorial explication and being able to mm -hmm. kind of do what I just called with Terezi kind of the irony two-step, right? Because the the thing, I guess, to, to the, the thing to extract from this is that this isn't just how trolls work in the story. This is how trolls work in real life, right? You, you are engaging with someone in like, uh, they are, they are engaging with you in bad faith, right? They don't actually sort of hold the position or they don't hold it in quite the, the way that they're putting it forth to you because the way that they have crafted that position, uh, is basically to get a rise out of you. So if you ignore them, they win because they've been annoying and they've made you ignore them. And if you engage with them, then they've also won, uh, because they've like, you know, entangled you in this clusterfuck of, uh, bad faith positions that are just going to like constantly fall through because when you don't actually hold the position that you're arguing, you can just like uh, uh, jump between positions as uh, suits you being right. Yeah. I, it, the, the point of trolling is it literally anything happening, mm -hmm. right? You know, it, it is ambivalent <laughs> it's, in it's outcomes and goals. Uh, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, it, it's really interesting to me, that this that this is 2010 everything that this really just came to me as we've been talking about it everything here just looks like growth hacking mm -hmm. like do you remember growth hacking is like a thing people talked about all the time oh yeah no it's like like, we're like the, what like the two early years off? No, I think, well, so I looked up at Google Ingram, uh -huh. and lo and behold, it is 2009 when uh -huh. the term growth hacking explodes and becomes uh, huge. And so... Uh, I mean, the, what what Hussey is describing here, you know, if you are on, uh, I don't know, say, uh, you know, uh, if, if you're looking at internet platforms, right? You know, good old fashioned web 2.0 internet platforms. 
um, and like what the point of making something is, right? The, an app or uh, a website or whatever, you know, you're looking for ways of maximizing your user base to then figure out ways to monetize them. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's the thing. I mean, and that's always the problem on the internet, right? How do you turn numbers into money? <laughs> um, and but growth hacking was how do you invent the numbers from nothing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's all these different methods. You know, they're very famously. Um, what is the 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 web comic um the oatmeal oh yes mm-hmm. right so the oatmeal is also emerging around the same time period like two thousand seven eight nine somewhere in there mm-hmm. um and the oatmeal the kind of I don't know if this is true or not but the kind of internet legend about the oatmeal and the way that that the oatmeal as a perfectly fine but like very built for virality uh web comic. You know, uh, the way that it worked was that the the creator of it. Tell me if I if I'm getting this wrong, Michael. But the legend is that um, that I have not verified is that the creator of the oatmeal was someone who worked in SEO before, mm-hmm. and so developed all of these methods, like putting a thousand different buttons on the web page to uh, you know uh, to uh, create cookies in your browser. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was all this like data tracking going on, and then made it hyper hyper simple to share a comic that you found mildly interesting or very, maybe very interesting to every possible platform, you know, and there, I remember at the time, you know, you looking at the website and there's like 50 buttons on how to auto post this to literally any website that you could imagine with uh, a single click of a button. And which was like a big thing about like growth hacking at the time. How do you get more users? Well, you make your content more accessible. How do you make the content more accessible? Well, you make it very easy to put your content on any given platform um, and this is a time when lots of platforms were emerging. You know, this is uh, what a couple of years into Twitter. Um, and, you know, this is before the kind of platform economy had solidified in the way that it is now. Mm-hmm. And so that's all to say the the things that Hussey is talking about here are just like basic growth hacking maneuvers. It, it, actually, we could rephrase a lot of these into just like Silicon Valley truisms, right? Like. All publicity is good publicity. If people are coming onto your platform to get mad or if people are coming onto your platform or engaging with your content in order to uh, express their distaste for it, that's perfectly fine, right? Like this is in fact how Facebook grew Uh (laughs) was creating situations for that. And everything that we know about Facebook now suggests that that's the similar thing. Um, the most important posts on Facebook or most uh, access, you know, but from Facebook's perspective, that, that means important. They are all, uh, news sources or, or posts, uh, but often from news outlets that generate huge amounts of friction. You know, they're either, uh, they're often hard right wing in mm-hmm. fact. Um, and that's because the, the base for hard right wing news is very, uh, willing to engage and happy to share and happy to discuss and happy to debate. And also people who are not on the right wing are very happy to get into those comments and make sure that their voice is heard as well. So, um, you know, that is the way that growth and engagement occurs is through this kind of thing. And that seems to be a lot of what you're saying about how hussy is, considering the trolls like it's win-win no matter what because Mm -hmm. of engagement is the thing that matters and uh, that thing that you read about uh, they're still secretly coming to the website anyway that's so telling about the way that that hussy is kind of framing this Mm -hmm. is that it's it's even if people are are storming off in a huff they're still checking back every now and again and that's numbers and that sells troll t-shirts or whatever Mm -hmm. so an important uh kind of thing here then to mention is that uh Several months ago, uh, 
Hussey gave a response to a form speaking question asking, you know, when, when is Homestuck going to end? And as kind of a, a random date, Hussey floated um, uh, August 26th, because that would be twice 413. And I mentioned back in our episode when when this came up that I would remind us all when this was going to happen uh, so we can take a look at a couple of things. But the first thing we need to know is that what uh, what happened on August 26th, sort of big picture, uh, is that whatpumpkin.com goes live. Whatpumpkin is kind of the uh, the LLC that manages uh, the Homestuck brand for a while. I guess that is now really owned by Viz, but now uh, Whatpumpkin continues to oversee kind of the tertiary things like the Hive Swap games, uh, the Friendship Simulator games. Uh, and all of the music, I believe, is still uh, run through Watt Pumpkin. Um, so we see like the, the you know, in line with all of your comments about growth hacking and, and getting eyes on things and monetization, we see kind of the the, the corporate condensation here of the Homestuck brand um, on August 26th, right? The day that Homestuck was supposed to end. Uh, the other thing then that happens in the comic uh, is whatever happens on page, uh, 2532 and go ahead and type that into your app, Cameron, and take a look at what happens in the comic on the day that Homestuck ends. Uh, looks like, uh, some World of Warcraft shit going on here. Read, read the, uh, the command. Uh, from the one, uh, no, the, the command at the top. Mm-hmm. Wait, this is 2532? Yeah. Surely you must be adventuring by now? Who Who is adventuring by now? Nepeta. Yes, the fandom insert character. Mm. Right, and I'm not going to say mm. that this is, like, intentional, but it is really mm. quite, quite uh, fun, right? The day that Homestuck ends is the day that uh, the cat girl assumes her her uh, preeminence as someone. Yeah, her who, final form right. as a World of Warcraft arena fighter. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, you know, this this is this is the uh, the sort of, like, Sh- the, the full on shift from like the anti fan who I described kind of in, in my own uh, sort of past in, in episode uh, whatever uh, back mm-hmm. back when we were ending uh, uh, act four. Um, the this is where the comic is starting to really send those clear signals like, oh, no, no, no. Like the 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 cat girl fan girl who is constantly thinking about shipping, uh, she's going to get to adventure here as well. And in fact, it might be her adventure from here on out. Uh, and weirdly enough, like the something awful thread, you might think that there was I, I've described we, we totally like skimmed over the fact that there's been like kissing in here now. Right. These kids are kissing each other. Uh, mm-hmm. You might have expected a, a bit more of a volatile reaction uh, than that from the something awful thread. Uh, but no, it is actually incredible to me how muted the reaction is. It's just kind of like, oh, OK, well, that's what the story is now. The kids are kissing each other. Um, we got to We got to know teenagers kiss. We've got to know about these relationships. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. You know, we've talked about that a little bit, I think, during the uh uh, whatever happens with Riska and uh, Tavros, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about that bizarreness, but you know, thinking about w- what are the popular media a little bit before this? You know, it's not quite right now, but in the previous ten years leading up to this, right? I mean, we're in the the renaissance of teen teen smooching dramas, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, teen primetime drama about smooching. You know, uh, we got the OC. You know, that's been going on. 
Uh, we're all the way into the reality era at this point, you know, like mm-hmm. neck deep in the reality era about like teens and young 20 somethings smooching, getting together, being mean to each other. Um, and so you, you can really, I, I guess, see outside of the kind of, um, I don't know, drama universe that we've often talked about Homestuck having a lineage to, I think you can really see the impact of like just mass culture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, these kind of like big meme uh, parts of culture from the early 2000s uh, that that uh, that are not just for like nerds, right? Or mm-hmm. like people who are on the internet at the time, but that everyone is watching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that they are on primetime TV. So it doesn't make, you know, I guess it makes sense that it becomes about smooching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the smoochification of, uh, <laughs> of Homestead. Yeah, smoochification. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting, especially considering like what the comic does here. Uh, because this is when, when, uh, Feferi, uh, kisses Sullux. Uh, that's when we get like the, the, multi-part like meta move where we go out to spade slick watching it going out to andrew hussey watching it going out to the mspa reader watching it uh and it's all presented as uh like you know it's it's what i've talked about before where it's kind of like scripting a reader right it's sort of like presenting a a potential kind of like reader response to itself and then engaging with that uh Mm -hmm. and the strength like the strength with which this happens is fascinating, uh, considering how really little complaint like there is complaining in the something awful thread. Like, I should say that, like, uh, there are a couple of people who are like, "Ugh, I can't stand this, but they're not like really getting rowdy about it. Not in the way that people mm-hmm. are going to get rowdy about things, even in the next partisode, um, which is going to be an interesting thing. Uh but it all all also kind of gets tied up in this question of, you know, the 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 people who are reading this and trying to figure out, like, is this trolling me? Like, what is the troll here? And so mm-hmm. we have the the hussy self insert come in like in troll cosplay uh, and do this whole thing about, you know, like I'm in control of the story. It's a you know repetition of kind of like, oh, my my vaunted imagination kind of stuff. And plus all of this like weird things about being stuck in an attic and, and, and whatnot. Um, this all happens, uh, and the pe- like there, there is a segment of people who are reading it, uh, who are like, is this real? Is this a gen, <laughs> is this a genuine author meltdown? Oh, I see. I yeah. see. Not, is he, not, <laughs> is not, Andrew is Hussey Andrew stuck Hussey in an attic? Stuck in an attic. <laughs> Sorry. I got, I got, yeah, I mean, maybe. Why wouldn't it be? Right. And, and that was, uh, well, this is one of the things that. Um, <laughs> Were you on the internet in 2010? Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right? Uh, this is one of the things that I'm just so curious about how uh, this feels to someone who is maybe like less experienced in the internet, first of all. And second of all, like doesn't really know about the history of Homestuck. Like, this is such a weird diversion uh, into the story, right? Where you can read this kind of like all in a go and just kind of work through it. Whereas uh, one of the things that makes people complain in the threads is that this is a piece of serial fiction. And so uh, it's not only do I have to learn about, uh, you know, all this troll romance, but like I have to learn about the troll romance. Well, I know that there are other things that I'm more interested in that are also happening that could be talked about right now. Right. I'm, I'm getting one thing when I want another. Um, and so this is, you know, one of the ways in which like the, the self insert kind of reads 
um, as uh, talking about like the pacing of, of the information. Uh, but if you are reading this archivally, like you don't have quite that same. You're not just like, oh, my God, troll romance like you might. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the the insert is written to like written in response to real time response in a way that I just have no idea how this feels to someone who is approaching this as a finished object. Right. And doesn't know, as you said, this is the other thing that I think is really sort of important to underscore here. Right. That that person saying, is this a real meltdown? Please someone who goes on the official forums, like read some stuff and let us know. Uh, The other thing that this underscores uh, is that, it was not uncommon if you were a person who read web comics to like be reading a web comic and then the creator of that web comic has kind of an event and goes around the bend a little bit. Yeah. Or like goes on some forum and posts like a huge long post of like you know, I don't know, that <laughs> is uh problematic or uh awful or like, you know, they're obviously having some sort of uh, you know, struggling with uh you know, mental issues, like, you know, that was just kind of like and I guess that has to also do with just like there were a lot of creators, I would say broadly, on the internet who were doing stuff who were visible mm-hmm. and the methods where you could see them were were pretty big and wide. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you know, and for some of those people, that was, uh, you know, that was part of like the package. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, and I'm yeah, the the before we all kind of got funneled on to platforms where we could be the main character of the day on Twitter, uh, you could just make your own website and then you could be the main character of the day on your own <laughs> website forever. Uh, right. Until. Yeah. You could create your own forum named after you where you were a huge asshole all the time. And that would be part of you as your like star package. Right. <laughs> uh, and so like the the question, is this a real sort of like legitimate author meltdown is very funny, um, but also like tells you something about the rhetorical situation in which we're operating here. Uh, because if, as I said, if you read web comics, like you saw this happen probably a couple of times. Yes, definitely. Um, we've gone off the rails. <laughs> Have we? We've gone far off the rails. Yeah, definitely. There's this other character, Fafari. Oh, oh well, Fafari's nice. <laughs> it's, uh, so he, here's my like first blush reaction to Fafari. You tell me if this is like uh, correct in your eyes. Fafari seems like the um, like the well-meaning rich person. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the right read on this character? Yep, you got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, that that's kind of her character. Yeah, she uh, wants to redefine the troll practice of culling to basically mean like a welfare state. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Fafari bringing bringing the the big arm of the thing. I did like the uh, the description of Fafari that. Uh, Fafari is at the the top of the hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, her her blood is most pure, whatever nonsense this is. And uh, I like in the description where it's like uh, she's such a threat to the hierarchy of troll society because you know she's she's competing that the leader of the um, 
armada or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. uh, of the military where the trolls are fighting each other would if they had the opportunity turn their ship around and and blow up the ferry (laughs) uh, to like eliminate competition within troll society i thought that was very funny Mm -hmm. no it's uh it's pretty good uh and it's also like the ferry has all these plans for troll society that i think she also knows are just not going to pan out because she's aware of the apocalypse yeah so so um all right I need I need some clarification on Fafiri here. This is also part of it too. Is just like the the amount of information. I said this earlier, but to reiterate, the amount of information you have to have in your head to like know what the hell is going on in any given moment in this comic is getting pretty dense. Yeah. Um. I like it's almost to the point. Even though I'm reading this and talking about it very regularly, where a wiki is getting close to necessary, if mm-hmm. not becoming necessary. Mm-hmm. But just to make sure. But Fafiri controls. I don't know what this thing is called. It doesn't matter, but it can give out the the big glub. Yeah, glub glub. The, this, the, the vast glub. And the vast glub will, depending on its, it's a psychic emanation. Uh-huh. And depending on its power, begins killing from the weakest blooded trolls to the strongest blooded trolls. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a doomsday device that is in troll society in a broad sense. It's what kills Solix. Mm-hmm originally right and it's precisely why uh the leader of the troll armada her imperious condescension uh does not turn around and take out fafari because uh the thing is like fafari's mom right her lucis mm-hmm. and if fafari is attacked then this thing will scream and it will eliminate troll society got it got it okay that's probably coming up again at some point right uh yes this this, this big old glub glub uh yes. I, I really mm-hmm. like I wrote that down. I do like Speaker of the Vast Glove. That's a very <laughs> two thousand nine. You know, that's that's very penny arcade-ish almost. Mm-hmm. Um in, in that kind of arch. I know I've made that comparison several times, but if you were reading s- stuff like Penny Arcade when uh I don't know the writer. I don't know his what? name. But uh you know Tycho? sometimes that would Is that is that him? I mean uh uh there's the writing guy and the yeah, art yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Tycho's the writing <laughs> guy and Gabe is the art guy. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. When when he uh, you know would get very arch mm-hmm. in his his writing, it has this kind of tone to it. Um, but uh, but anyway, I thought that was quite great. Um, I also really the the maneuver that we talked about a little bit here, where um, Jack Noir is hanging out with Carcat, and then we like bounce out <laughs> one level, and it's Spade Slick looking at Jack Noir because I definitely thought this Jack Noir was that. I thought those were the same character. They are. I didn't recognize. But just in a different time? Yes, right. Like that is Spade oh, Slick is looking at himself in the past. In the past, before he did all the stuff in the intermission. Right. Right. Got so it. all of the stuff that we're seeing him do with uh, the trolls is in the run up to him getting exiled to Alternia and becoming Spade Slick. Right, but the way that Doc Scratch got into the troll universe is through accessing the server that had all these dudes on it, all the Midnight Crew on it, in like dead space out in the middle of nowhere. Well, so Doc Scratch uh, mm-hmm. and the Felt, right, as far as we know, uh, came from that server, right? The code mm-hmm. from that server was run, and what happens is uh, at the end of the universe, right, Lord English 
uh, or rather the the indestructible demon has not been named as Lord English. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I spoiled that for you. Damn. What a disappointment for everyone in listener land. Um, I think we I think we already talked about it the first time it came out. <laughs> uh, at the end of the universe. Right. Uh, Lord English uh, and I guess all of his cronies. Right. Can enter. And then because they're time travelers can travel back from the end of the universe to the beginning. And then they've been there forever. Right. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm pointing out, or or the tension I'm pointing to, which is like unresolvable, you know, it's it's purposefully here is like theory bait. But Spade Slick is somewhere else looking at his future or his past actions mm-hmm. in a different universe. Yes. And that was used to create the conditions of his own emergence in that universe. Yes. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Got, mm-hmm. got it. Great. Cool. Awesome. And that's why, that's why his that. uh, little commands, because what happens is Karkat is like weeping <laughs> because mm-hmm. one, he's friends with Solix and he just accidentally got him killed. Uh, and he, and like two, now he has to watch like Feferi resurrect Solix. So like uh, Karkat is like weeping and emotional and he's like, uh, like he's like pressing his face into Jack's like uh, tunic, right? He's like, ask me, and uh, Jack is like awkwardly comforting him. And then mm-hmm. Spade Slick's commands are just like, kid, a thing I never got to tell you is how much I hate every single one of you <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah <laughs> there's something very funny this is you know partially i think you know kind of working backward through it partially my um unhappiness with like the the sephirothization of <laughs> jack noir you know back at the end of what is that act three yeah in the kids session four? yeah yeah in the kids session is like it's it's such a reduction of this very weird character <laughs> down to like you know whatever the fourth form of a final fantasy you know end boss right mm-hmm. like it's just not not very interesting uh, the the panel 2472 where Carcat is weeping and and Jack Morris is uh, patting him on the back and says, "There, there, you blubbering goddamn pansy!" Yes. And 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 then uh, Gamzy is in the background in low res, going honk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that part where uh, Aridin is trying to talk to Carcat, um, and he gets a hold of Gamzy instead, and uh, Aridin's like, you know, uh, you know, where's where's Carcat? And uh, Gamzy's response is like, he's talking to the the scary motherfucker that likes knives <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's busy being slapped motherfucking senseless by the guy who likes knives yes. but i can relay i can relay what message you got my brother <laughs> Th- this is something that's really interesting too you know i grew up in the rural south and if you grew up in the rural south in the early 2000s you knew a couple juggalos mm-hmm. you know this this is juggalo country mm-hmm as it were. And you might not think that, and that has more to do with you than it does with you, with me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, but definitely like Juggalo universe. And so I, I knew some Juggalos. And uh, I was, de- you know, in, in, uh, introduced to the Insane Clown Posse regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big problem with Gamzee is that he does not talk like the Insane Clown Posse. No. Like, he does not have the cadence of Shaggy 2 Dope nor Violent J. Uh, and that's a real missed opportunity, I think. 
Um, but uh, but uh, Gamesy's really uh, uh, coming up in the in the power rankings for me over the course of this reading. Uh, what a what a what a fun! He like convinces Aridan to drink the Fago. Yes, and Aridan's like, oh, I guess it's it's just soda. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. It, what's interesting about uh, the the Juggalo problem that you're outlining here is that it's also very similar to the way that the comic interfaces with uh, Con Air. Um, oh, yeah. In mm-hmm. that it is relying on uh, sort of a pop culture idea about it rather than what it actually is. And I'm not saying like, damn, this comic's hugest failure is that it does not close read Con Air or the Juggalo <laughs> movement. Um, mm-hmm. But more to point out, like the move here, right? What this thing is doing mm-hmm. is that it's relying on a pop cultural impression a very vague and big one of a juggalo and then kind of like working its own stuff into that in the same way that um, every time that John uh, gives the the pitch for Con Air, he's not actually describing what that movie's about. (laughs) No, if you told me that John had never seen Con Air or if that gets revealed later in this comic, it won't be surprising. You can check out our bonus ode, Mm -hmm. patreon.com slash range touch. To listen to the first bonus ode about Homestuck Made This World to hear us talk about Con Air at length mm-hmm. for a very long amount of time. Next episode is going to be on Problem Sleuth. But uh, actually, it's probably out by the time you're listening to this. But not probably. It is out by the time you're listening <laughs> to this. And uh, but but yeah, absolutely. There, there's this kind of and that very much to me is like Internet culture of this time and maybe Internet culture across the board, which is that for a small amount of time, um, Given a very small amount of information, anyone can pretend to know anything about anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I guess this is also the rise of wiki culture, too. Of mm-hmm. Like, uh, if you want to feel smart on the Internet, you can go read a wiki and then, like, come back and um, fill in all that information. Mm-hmm. But um, let's see here. I'm just trying to think of other things that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, I, you know, Vriska, who cares? <laughs> yeah, uh, Vriska... Weirdly enough, as much as people talk about Vriska, she kind of shows up, she does some stuff in our last chunk of reading, and then just uh, moves into the background here and only shows up again enough to to get, like, you know, ganked by Robo Aradia. Which, again, this is one mm-hmm. of those things that I find I, I find I'm really appreciating uh, on this kind of read through with the, you know, dozen years of experience I've had, where Vriska is, as I said in the last part episode, uh, you know, the person who thinks that, okay, I murdered you, and to make up for that, I'll have the creepiest guy I know build you a robot body. Um, mm-hmm. That was, you know, step number one. Uh, and now step number two is later, while being beaten to death by a haunted robot, oh no, how could this have happened? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's it's really interesting that that's such a, it feels like such an escalation for like interpersonal violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, it's really not based on, again, the things that happened with the radio before or the things that are happened to, you know, uh, between Vriska and Tavros. Um, but th- this whole act, I guess, is just like a real upping the stakes and upping the level of, I don't know, suffering, violence, arbitrary, bad stuff happening to people. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's like if, if what if just there were 50, if there had been 15 pages in act two of John just getting the shit beaten out of him by an imp, we would have been like, what is going <laughs> on? Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very much a cartoon, you know, for all of that stuff. And now it's like, you know, interpersonal and 
you know, both interpersonal kind of emotional violence, but also just like beating the shit out of one another. And it's it's really interesting that it happens kind of so slowly over time. Uh, and just, I mean, obviously in real time, it was slowly over time in the sense it's happening day by day. But even in an archival reading, it's, you know, happening over hundreds of pages. Mm-hmm. And so the the slow maneuvering there, unless you kind of take a step back to think about it, uh, I think can, can be a little bit uh, deceptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that I guess needs to be said, if again, if you're not like reading this along, there's a lot of blood in this. These troll kids mm-hmm. are filled with blood. Now, we've seen a lot of blood before, but it was in mostly like the Midnight Crew intermission uh, where the the felts are being like dismembered constantly. Um, and even that, uh, even though it's darker, it's a bit more of a cartoonish slapstick, like edgy violence. Um, this scene where Aradia beats up uh, Vriska and all the blood's flying everywhere, it's much closer to anime. Uh, in in kind of how it's being presented, right? This is this is being presented as sort of emotionally sincere in a way that the uh, intermission isn't. And I just want to read something based on what you just said. Uh, it actually ties in with um, uh, what you said about Aradia stuff in the previous uh, part episode, where uh, with with Equius and everything about how I can't. How did you phrase it? It was something like. You took that scene as telling you, like, guess what? This is another thing that could happen in this story, right? You you mm-hmm. thought that, uh, you know, there was maybe a limit to what was going to be incorporated here. And no, we're actually going to delve into, like, this weird messed up consent thing. Um, here is what Hussey says in the book commentary around the scene where Aradia is beating Vriska. Um Probably uh, the worst of the stories presented so far on a graphic violence basis. Anytime Homestuck moves the line a little further along any axis, it's basically saying this is also something the story can be. That goes for everything from the quality of rendering to the nature of the content. This fight pushes the line on Homestuck's capacity for brutality a little further. In that regard, the animation acts as another good transitional piece, paving the way for the tone of the rest of this act. The nasty times are upon us. Um, so yeah, it, the it, nasty times. Yeah, it's a real nineteen nineties thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I I read that because I had it marked uh, to bring up in case it uh, seemed relevant. And what do you know? You gave me a, a chance to say it. Right, like Boom. this is like about sort of pushing the line, literally, right? Sort of expanding what is going to be in this story and how that's working. Um. And what I mean, this is the troll act uh, up and down, like all of this is what the trolls stories uh, are about, right, about sort of like pushing on boundaries and like uh, manipulating people into doing things they don't want. Mm -hmm. Um, It's 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 real heavy stuff, extremely heavy stuff uh, that is also happening in the context of uh, what we talked about before as essentially a, a really weird YA novel. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of it, it really bounces back and forth, and and what is also partially interesting about that too is that all those tonal changes we talked about at the beginning of Act Five by the end of Act Five, Part One, have fallen out. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, you know, we are back to weirdly enough, like act four narratorial mode. It's, it's almost like Hussey got bored mm-hmm. of like having to keep up the character and maybe it actually has to do with, I think it breaks with, um, the, the reintroduction of, of, uh, Hussey as a character mm-hmm. in the thing. So, so that, that could be, it could have been a nice break point there. Um, the other thing that I thought was really notable about this kind of whole section, um, is, you know, we very recently got the introduction of like troll romance, mm-hmm. and now everyone in the where they really didn't use these words very often before, but now everyone is using these concepts constantly. Mm-hmm. It's like we've been introduced the like Hussey has created the vocab words, and now has to show you every possible instance of using those vocab words. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and interestingly enough, it really feels to me because. So much of the response to this comic, you know, that that I've got to see firsthand now after we've released a bunch of these episodes, so much of it is like, uh, how much does one buy into how the comic tells you how to read it? Mm-hmm. You know, that I think that really has a, a strong determination on what you get out of or how you approach the object itself. And what's interesting to me is that the troll romance quadrants are a really good example of like a retcon or, or a... Um, Something that is introduced that then after it is introduced was treated like it was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. But if you're really paying attention, is uh, it, the tones of the of the before and after time are quite different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that these trolls talk about their relationships before we have the quadrants introduced are actually quite different. The terminologies that they're using, the way they understand their own experiences, the way they're talking to each other about them, then the way that they talk to the kids as well, the original kids. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff gets these, these vocab words like, injected into it in a way that if you compare the chat logs they start feeling quite different and it's a really interesting moment of of purposeful world building that really feels like a kind of break point between um the types of i i don't know the, or the modes of writing maybe mm-hmm. you know the there, there's so many moves in this comic where uh something is discussed and then you can see that it was there the whole time mm-hmm and the language here really shows that it was not there the whole time, perhaps. Um, that this is in development as these trolls kind of come into relationship with one another. Also, I still have no patience for it. <laughs> well, I don't think it adds very much. Like, I, in the sense of, like, I don't know what kind of granular, better experience I get out of understanding these relationships, having the quadrants, mm-hmm. other than it allows you to create, like, more interesting shipping charts. Yes. I mean, that's one of the things it does, right? It's extremely grabby for for that reason. Uh, you know, memes have been coming through the Discord channel, like, contemporary memes uh, that just outline how every single quadrant on uh, on the, the, like, troll romance grid is a shipping dynamic for your fanfics, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, like, that's one of the things, I guess, to, to think about here is, like, to what degree does continuing... Uh, if we talked about before um, this potential for uh, the, the ectobio twist to be kind of a troll against the shippers, um, you know, in what ways is the comic now going to continually, like, center the shippers uh, uh, more specifically. Right. And I also want to, I think, clarify something, uh, uh, that I think maybe, uh, people may listen to this show and get the idea that like, I know for a fact that Hussey planned all of that ecto bio thing to, to be specifically a twist and slap in the face for the shippers. 
Mm-hmm. I don't, right? Or rather, it is clear formally that looking at the object that there is a joke about shipping immediately after that, and we have fan response, right, uh, uh, to the effect mm-hmm. that like, oh no, this is this has sunk some of our ships, and, and uh, this was very mean of you. Um, but that was not probably like the reason that that twist got born. In fact, uh, in the uh, I can't remember if this was in the book commentary. I think it was in the book commentary, not the forum spring. Uh, Hussey actually talks about uh, why the ecto bio twist works out in the way that it does. And it's essentially that it seemed too simple to have the adults be the kids uh, traveling through time. Right, just like straight up have like, you know, uh, uh, Jade's grandpa turn out to be a, a, a time traveling John and to have mm-hmm. John's grandma be a time traveling Jade. And, uh, you know, the, this would mean that Rose and Dave like raised themselves and that sort of thing. Um, Hussey says at one point, and I think this is in the book commentary, that that was just like too simple, right? Too many people could have called that too early. And so the the weird like uh, bio slurry thing that gets introduced is almost just a way to kind of sidestep people who are theorizing about the plot. Uh, and then it has uh, this sort of shipping uh, effect. Um, and Hussey kind of rolls into that. And now, uh, as I've sort of outlined, we have sort of the opposite movement of like moving shipping more, more specifically toward the center of the story, or if not shipping itself, at least a vocabulary that lends itself to talking about those things. Yeah, and that language gets introduced very explicitly in relationship to, I mean, part of, I think, your interpretation pans out uh, because Dave says basically the same thing. You know, there's a conversation in the next part episode where Dave and Carcat are talking and this this shows up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, I think Dave says something about filling out shipping charts even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, uh, you know, not... Uh, the the other there's not to spoil anything the other children still exist mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they will appear again at some point in the future um i'm trying to look at other things uh that really stuck out to me here the fag joke oh my god like future ag yeah future arachnids grip during so in the memos yeah. how people at different time Carcat is often arguing with himself in the memos, for instance. And so how time gets differentiated is like current carcinogeneticist, uh, present carcinogeneticist and future carcinogeneticist. So at one point, uh, a future Vriska shows up. So she is future arachnids grip. Mm-hmm. And it gets abbreviated mm-hmm. F.A.G. So mm-hmm. what are your what are your thoughts on this, Cameron? Well, I'm trying to uh, to find it in the actual thing. It's on, I think. 2547 mm-hmm. is the is the thing. Anyway, there's this thing where it's like uh uh, uh future Vriska gets banned from the thing. Oh oh yeah yeah yeah. It, so Carcat says this. Uh too bad the acronym wasn't hag instead it would have suited you much better instead of that nonsense word maybe its association with you will colloquially cause it to take on a negative connotation what do you think maybe fag will be the new burn even though it really means nothing in our language i don't know this is stupid forget it okay i'm rambling here i'm aware of that and then just like keeps going and it's like uh you know sometimes you know i don't know about you i get you know i've been accused of being up my own butt about a thing, mm-hmm. getting a little bit too cute, getting a little bit too, uh, uh, you know, big ideas, you know, about a video game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Probably about this own show. I'm sure there are people that listen to this and think, oh, they're, they're up their own butts. 
thinking about this too much. I feel like I'm Danny right now. <laughs> Danny would say this. This is like me doing an impression of Danny talking about the show. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but this is like Andrew Hussey flying up their own ass at mocks, you know, mock ten. <laughs> right, like. This sucks so bad. This is like grade school level. Like it's just a bundle of sticks. Yeah, uh, like level ideas, uh, and uh, it's disappointing to see it show up. Also, the R word, which shows up occasionally in this comic, shows up a lot during this part of it. Yeah, there's a big there's a big uptick in that. Yeah, and I don't know what's up with that. Um, you know, beyond it, just kind of sticking out. You know, really, really heavily in 2022, um, and. Uh, yeah, so I don't, and this is also like the weird thing about it too, right? Is that like the R word means the same thing? Mm-hmm. It means exa- the exact same connotation. Mm-hmm. So you don't get to you. You can't have it both ways. Well, I mean, but Cameron you can't have Cameron, world Cameron, and Cameron. Silly in the next part of we're going to learn that uh, homosexuality as a concept does not exist on Alternian, therefore you can't be homophobic. Yeah, that's true. We do learn that. I mean, I hoisted, hoisted <laughs> yeah. by science fiction itself. Yep. <laughs> there's just, there's... Um, but you know, I, it's there, there. I guess what I'm saying is there, there are places here where the opposite world conceit is so oppressive to me mm-hmm. on like a conceptual level that it makes me hate the thing, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't. But it's like the it is the it, it is the comic twisting itself into knots to get out a joke that sucks just to make the joke that sucks yeah, right yeah, like, yeah, so it's doing so much work to make a joke that is not good <laughs> i will read you the author commentary here <clears throat> and, and like oh, let me let me okay, yeah, just one last thing <laughs> not even not politically good although obviously it's not politically good it just is not a good joke mm-hmm. either like even within its context in which this was much more acceptable you know 12 years ago um, in in a general sense, it's just not even funny. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so here is the author. Commentary. Here is the author commentary on this part. Listen, that just happened to be the three letter abbreviation for future arachnids grip. Okay, it's not like I specifically went out of my way to make that word appear on this page a whole bunch of times. Carcat simply offers some meta commentary on the word because it kind of jumps out, doesn't it? What? Are you going to sit there and tell me that you would have made the choice not to bring anyone's attention to it at all? Oh, that's what you say, smart guy? You probably wouldn't have even made Homestuck in the first place? Well, aren't you special then? Anyway, Carcat wraps it up with some words to live by. Okay, I'm rambling here. I'm aware of that. I'm copying this statement here as a reminder to get those words tattooed on myself someday. Yes, I, in fact, would not have made Homestuck to begin with. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, got me hoisted yeah <laughs> um you know what can i say i didn't make homestuck uh yes but no i i would not have yeah i mean and this is you know this is if i i, I sort of have a weird relationship with the author commentary because i'm often complaining about it but also usually reading it um and pulling it in constantly and I think that this is actually a, a good little segue here to touch on what I was saying last time about the author commentary and how it presents uh, the the like author and fiction relationship. So it's Andrew Hussey, uh, per, you know, the the commentary here is almost always doing the thing that Andrew Hussey is doing in form spring responses or when the self insert shows up, uh, which is kind of like playing a certain part. And there are multiple mm-hmm. kind of uh 
there are multiple sort of versions of uh, Hussey, the author, um, that they step into uh, depending on what it is they want to address and how they want to address it. So in, for instance, the previous episode, one of the things that I sort of highlighted is that there is this weird theory of fiction that you can derive from some of Hussey's comments uh, that like basically if read the right way or sort of uh, implemented uh, in, in certain uh, ways absolves the author of responsibility for things that happen in the story. Mm -hmm. And that is not universally what Hussey is doing. There are plenty of times uh, where Hussey in this commentary is like, oh yeah, here's why this happened. Here's why I did this. Here's when I got this idea, right? Um, so it's worth paying attention to where Hussey is willing to admit uh, to having had ideas and authored this text uh, versus things like uh, this response where uh, like on the one hand, right, we, we do admit like Hussey does admit that, that this word was put on this page for this joke Um and we get some sense that maybe maybe it was a bad choice. Who can say? Because Hussey will not admit that. Hussey will not state that. Instead, Hussey is going to kind of uh, present it in, uh, again, like, you know, notice, doesn't it just kind of jump out at you because of this fiction that has appeared before you with absolutely no one arranging it? Um, and then sort of, you know, back away from really saying anything about, I don't know, why it was that this joke was made in 2010. Right. Like, what what was your thought process? Like, could you perhaps be a little bit honest about this? But no, that's not really what's going to happen. Um, we're just going to kind of like shuffle off. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, to, to maybe put it a little bit more bluntly, um, you know, Hussey is is a meta character when it suits them uh -huh. and is the author of Homestuck when it suits. them. Yes. And uh, I think that treating Hussey like Hussey is meta aware of all of this mm -hmm. and treating it as if it's all like flat and like unvarnished, just like truth is a way to run down a weird path with Homestuck where you're, I, I think ultimately maybe naive mm -hmm. in some ways mm -hmm. uh, because Hussey is definitely aware that uh, they can manipulate the reader and manipulate the way that they're um, that they interact with the text. And in fact, based on everything I've learned so far, it actually seems that, Hussey understands the author-reader relationship as one of manipulation, yes. primarily. Yes. Like, that is what um, was said last time. And I've already said, yeah. you can't always take everything. You just said it. You can't take everything in the commentary flatly. But Hussey is also out here saying that, like, authors exist to manipulate their characters and, like, mm -hmm. you know, do bad things to them that then by proxy are doing things to the reader. Yeah. Um. And sort of related to that, I want to sort of like close this loop on uh, the Aradia Equius question, um, mm -hmm. yeah. because based on, you know, what happened last time, uh, if you are not a Homestuck reader or a at all, right, not reading along, don't plan on reading this thing, you may wonder kind of where, where that uh, sublimated rate plot went. The question is, it disappeared. Yeah, it did go away. Like, uh, uh, we don't see any. So. Uh, we can uh, sort of break this down uh, once more. The scene happens, right? Aradia in the robot body and uh, pulling out the heart, smashing it, kissing Equius. Uh, and people immediately raise all these questions about like, well, wait, what just happened, right? Is she still under Equius's control? Was this her decision? So on and so forth. Um, Hussey responds on the forums uh, in 2010. Quote, 
Probably the best evidence that there isn't a second chip still in effect after ripping the heart out is the fact that she immediately recognized that she was being influenced and instantly rebelled. It's clearly pretty ineffective technology and serves as more of a psychological pest than something which can actually hijack her motivations as intended. But I guess all this can be discussed into the ground in the coming week. So like that you might expect, right, if there's a, a bit of like confusion over what has happened in the story, that the story will later like clarify things. Uh, and Homestuck knows how to do this. In fact, uh, when Make Her Pay, the flash where Vriska and Aradia come to blows again, um, when that drops, a, a huge amount of the response to it from the, the thread is just people trying to figure out what is happening. Uh, like, mm-hmm. what are these scenes? Where are they in time? What is going on? And then these things also get clarified in the run of the comic later on, sort of more traditional narrative, like characters explain things that happen that allow you to piece together some things that you've seen. So this is a story that knows how to clarify itself when it wants to. Um, and you might expect, uh, given this response, that maybe we would get a little bit more clarification on what happened with Aradia and how she was feeling and why she, like, kissed this man who uh, did something really awful to her. Um, but that's not what happens. This is just not talked about. Like, Equius and Aradia, like, we get sort of one throwaway line when Equius and Nepeta meet up again, uh, where mm-hmm. Equius is just like, yeah, I don't know where Aradia is. Like, we were hanging out for a while and now she's gone. So wherever. Um, And the rest of the comic really is not going to address this point at all. In the author commentary, to go back to that well, um, Hussey kind of reiterates on this scene. uh, So the moral of the story is, Arady is basically into this, as long as she gets to do the feeling on her own instead of a stupid heart implant doing it for her. Maybe she was briefly even into the effect of the heart implant, in a sense? It certainly seemed to help jumpstart her emotions again, like some crazy emotional defibrillator. Just because the whole situation is creepy and weird and blood is everywhere doesn't mean we have to be a bunch of fucking downers and harsh too much on their strange little love story. Let's just be happy for them. Well, they don't exist. Right. They're not real. Right. Number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. They don't they don't have uh, I, 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 and maybe we'll talk about this in the next part of so as well, but. Uh, up until this point, they don't have realistic human-ish psychology, mm-hmm. and we're and that I think that's going to start changing, mm-hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, they are t- two-dimensional characters of troll types that are that don't exist outside of of the the mind and brain of the person who puts their words on the page. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we can't, it's not like, well, you know, you just look at two human beings and like things happen and you got to live with mm-hmm. it. Um, I, <laughs> the creator of these words is choosing how they interact with it and, and dropping it entirely and just being like, all right, whatever it happened. Um, that's a little bit odd. The, the additional thing here, right, is that formally Homestuck allows Hussey to do that, to do that dropping. Mm-hmm. Because if you are untethered from, like, chronology or time and space or any kind of linear storytelling, then one can just assume that things happened around this and were resolved, and we just weren't around to see it. Because mm-hmm. we cut back and forward in time, and, uh, you know, we got to the end of the Trolls game, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that you can control the pacing and where the kind of camera of the, the comic goes in such a way where, uh, you know, if that drops out for a very long time and then maybe comes back at some point, that's not out of the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the, 
what is being focused on at any given moment is so ambivalent. You know, mm -hmm. it's just whatever happens to be happening is what we're seeing. Precisely. Uh, so, uh, you know, in in another note somewhere in here, Hussey has a, a throwaway line talking about like, you know, how many conversations haven't we seen between all of these characters? Right. As if those mm -hmm. things exist uh, mm -hmm. now in every piece of fiction, obviously, uh, it cannot show you everything. Uh, this is where in reader response theory, particularly as it comes from like uh, Umberto Eco, uh, the text is a lazy machine. It wants mm -hmm. to do the least amount of work possible, uh, and therefore it is only going to show you the things that are kind of uh, necessary for the engine to work, right? The author builds the text uh, sort of ideally in such a way. Um, that you can imagine all of the scenes where Gandalf goes to the store to buy more pipe weed or whatever. Like you can mm -hmm. feel free to imagine them, but those things aren't actually important because what you are like, what is important is the story that you are seeing and Homestuck uh, bucks this logic uh, or like on the one hand, right? It is telling a story that, uh, you know, has has kind of a progression here. Are these scenes, there are things that we can assume happened in between. Um, but it is also putting so much weight on those spaces in between where the uh, the reader is supposed to interface with the lazy machine and make it do the work that it's not going to do itself. Um, and so this then uh, it, it's very weird. And as you say, built into how Homestuck works, uh, not just sort of formally, but also Again, like uh, it allows Hussey these weird moments of like uh, talking back to the audience. So after the make her pay animation, we have Diamonds Droog at the exile terminal trying to tell Aradia, you know, like hurry, hurry this up, right? Move it along. Um, and Aradia uh, uses her blood to write in the air uh, because this is how the, the trolls figure out they can talk to the exiles by like writing on the environment around them. Um, and she tells Droog, like, you know, don't tell me what to do, which is, mm -hmm. I think, hard not to read. Don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. It's hard not to read this as Hussey kind of uh, choosing to position this character against the reader response to like the scene with Equius, right, where it's like uh, it's our fault. Uh, the reader's fault for seeing this scene and not thinking like, well, obviously she chose to do that, which is absurd. Like you just hmm. uh, Hussey, you know, in, in the forum post in 2010 walks through like, well, she realized that the mind control chip in her heart was working. So it's obviously not very effective. So we can assume that everything that happens after she takes out the, the chip is is her choice. And it's like, no, you just told me that mind control chips exist. Like, why should I assume that this is how they work? Yeah, it's a really interesting kind of thing of, uh, you know, uh, again, a speculation machine. Mm -hmm. um, Homestuck is is awesome as a text at at uh, saying, hey, here's some stuff. It can work any way you think it might. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then just kind of picking one. Right. And that's just kind of not the way that most science fiction or fantasy texts. It's not really the way that they would work normally. Right. They, they tend to have pretty delineated. um the rules don't break in the middle of the thing, mm -hmm. generally, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes those are softer rules. You know, think about something like an Ursula Le Guin, you know. Those those are much softer rules than, I don't know, reading like hardcore, uh, mil you know, military speculative fiction, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that really cares about like the laws of physics. 
um, and like troop transport. <laughs> um, you know, those are those are different modes of doing it. But generally, you know, once you once you say something, and in fact, you know, something like uh, the Left Hand of Darkness uh, by Le Guin, it revolves around the fact that. Uh, people change, but the kind of rules don't. Mm-hmm. And w- the way that people realize that they're interfacing with the rules is the is the big like oh dang that happens at the end. But uh, Hussey is very willing, you know, against most I, I would say most uh, kind of fantastic of fiction to let anything morph at any given time, and then to kind of make up the difference later. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can always write more words. I think that's one of the big lessons of Homestuck is that. If you were willing to do it, you can always write more words, even if it's in the author commentary, to justify whatever decision you made in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the future is always infinite in, in the sense of your capacity to explain and to play out the implications of. And, I, you know, that's just a thing that, like, I don't, I think physically, most people, most authors, most people who are creating things just, just can't do. I don't have the stamina to do that. <laughs> At all, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine doing this. You know, I, I, at eight hundred thousand words, Hussey in Homestuck is longer than the career output for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would assume that's not even you know the sum total of the words that were written, just the ones that we have access to. So, um, it, it really is kind of about the machine like nature of it too. That that if you can always kind of post hoc clarify. You can shift anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode is a little bit long, but I, I do want to talk about one additional thing. Okay. Um, it is the uh, uh, the the animation. What are these things called? Why can't I not remember this? Flashes. Name? Yeah, flash. <laughs> uh, so uh, here's a little thing. I've talked about it on some other shows, but I got uh, uh, I got boosted. Uh, thankfully, uh, fairly recently, uh, you know, I, a, a little while ago now. But it, I don't quite have, you know, brain fog, but I'm having aphasia, mm. even worse than, like, I would normally have. So, like, words are, are real hard for me. Um, but, yeah, it's on 2578, so that, that is why. That's going to be my excuse forever. <laughs> yeah, I got boosted in, in uh, January 2021, and now I can't remember any names, which people who are longtime listeners know that I couldn't do to begin with. But I'm having a really hard time with, like, names and dates mm-hmm. um, the past few days. But uh, 2578... Uh, the make her pay flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just want to note that this is the the absolute bottom, the nadir, mm-hmm. as they say, of direction so far. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been very explicit that I think that that Hussey is really good at directing these. I think that they're really interesting. I think formally they do a lot of interesting stuff. I think they are really well made animations for the most part. I think this one and it. Watching this really gave some context for uh, some comments I saw on the Discord a while back where people were talking about how uh, they have a really hard time following some of the later um, uh, flashes that happen. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know when later meant. And, you know, this was not a spoily thing. This was just someone kind of talking about uh, the work for them. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I haven't had any problem with that. I've actually, you know, felt the opposite way most of the time. Very followable and doing some really interesting stuff. But I'm seeing it here. I like this is, you know, well below the standard that I've uh, come to assume here. Where it's often just a bunch of unrelated images. They're all in kind of different visual styles. You know, as the the art team is expanding here, mm-hmm. and they uh, often are just like 
what we would call, I guess, uh, key art. Mm-hmm. You know, they're key art that is like moving a little bit or having like the the uh, frame zoom in on it or something like that. And they're not really denoting anything that is occurring even. Mm-hmm. They're just images of people mm-hmm. or of trolls. Uh, I don't know. I just, I wanted to note that here. I don't have anything specific to say about it because, you know, a big third of it is dedicated to this fight. But I'm really starting to see the breakdown of what I what I did think of, uh, you know, as a very strong visual imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the next part of episode, we'll talk about some other ones, too. I, I don't I don't think that this is like the beginning of the end in any way. Mm-hmm. But it, it is notable to me that it really stuck out as not being kind of up to par. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I agree. And like I said, you know, the the confusion that results in response to the specific animation is, I mean, partly this is a numbers game because there are more readers now, but it is sort of above Mm. and beyond uh, what has happened with previous flashes, uh, which occurred in the story at points where I think like, uh, one, the structure of the game itself was being used to clarify what was happening, right? Like Mm. it's like an interflash. So we know that like this character is going to enter. These things need to be done. Uh, There's sort of like some scaffolding there in place to help you parse what is happening visually. Um, Whereas make her pay is not even a game thing, right? This is a character based flash animation. That's all about the culmination of, uh, you know, the uh, weird blood feud that's happening between Aradia and Vriska and with like Terezi and Tavros being like pulled in here as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, it ends up like to understand this flash, you don't have to understand the rules of the game. You have to understand uh, what is the positionality of each of these characters uh, with regard to a uh, complicated and convoluted backstory that we have been told in an intentionally complicated and convoluted and most of all incomplete way. Because this thing is trying to like mm-hmm. fill in gaps, but uh, it's really hard to figure out where those gaps start and stop, I think, on the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like the uh, end of their game. Yeah. You know, the null session stuff mm-hmm. and all of that, you know, and like them it actually showing how their game ended and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. Uh, this is also uh, Hussey gives a form spring response that says that uh, for the first time it, it says admits that the entire idea here was uh, to have a creation myth. Like that's what the the, the sort mm-hmm. of idea behind Spurb was always going to be was that it was going to generate a universe. Um, and so this is uh, I think, you know, even if it was kind of expected, it is a nice little finish. Yeah, we'll get into it more in the next uh, part episode about, you know, what that produces. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Well, I guess uh, to finish things off, uh, as you said, we've already run long, but there's one more, unless there's something else you have to do. I think there's at least one more piece of business I need to see to before we close this out. See to your business. Okay. So uh, this should be short. Way back in uh, episode, I think, one, two, you set this in motion uh, you can assign me Rose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you have, I have to, I have to know Cameron, which troll am I? I don't think you're a troll, Michael. Really? I mean, I'm you are a troll people? in real life, but I don't, I okay. don't or you have been in, in one mm-hmm. of your previous, uh, mini myriad and, uh, fallen forms. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't think you got a troll. I think you're Rose. Okay. Who, All is, right, who just... is still canonically existing within the troll universe in the deep, yes, that's in the true. deep, uh, whatever paradox past. 
All right. I just I just had to like run that by you and double check if you'd been like, okay, so mm. in Human Kids, Michael's Rose. Mm. In Troll Kids, this is Michael. Nah. But I didn't know. Yeah, I don't think you're any of these. Um, I will say, a little preview for the next part episode. You are Acts 1 through 4, Rose. Uh-huh. You're not Act 5, Part 2, Rose. <laughs> who is a totally different character. What is happening? But we will talk about that in the next one. Yeah, yeah. Tune in next time to hear us talk about that uh, when we will begin episode five of Homestuck Made This World with uh, Partisode 5-1, in which we will be reading the beginning of Act 5, Act 2, up through page 2840. Goodbye.